0: This is Jocko Podcast number 343 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Sun Tzu, Art of War covered that on podcast 23, by the way, Mm. which is over five years ago, I believe, at this time. So it's a real common quote, though. We have to learn from ourselves, we have to learn our mistakes, we have to learn our strengths and weaknesses, but we have to learn about our enemies and our enemies' strengths and weaknesses. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? What do our enemies do right? What do our enemies do wrong? And in order to know those things, we have to study our enemy. We have to look at that, look at what they're doing. At least we should. We should be looking at our enemy. And in some good times, we as a nation have been able to do that well. And we have a case here in 1942, the US Army Intelligence released a classified report about the Nazis. Who they were, what they did right, what they did wrong, what they had revealed in their own manuals. So we got copies of some of the Nazi manuals about leading troops in combat. They have interviews or, you know, they they had quotes, they have quotes from people that they talked to, German officers that they talked to. And they put this report together. And it was a classified report. Uh, eventually it was declassified, obviously, but I got a copy of it to review. And you know, at first you think, oh, well, what, what, what? You kind of think, my my first thoughts were, oh, this is gonna be really interesting to see these, these totally different viewpoints on leadership, right? The, these are Nazis. These are the most horrible people ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is gonna be, they're gonna be totally different. Yeah. Well, you're gonna see that, they're actually not that different. And you can see much of what they say at a tactical level is very similar to what any leader is going to say. And that sounds crazy, right? Because, and that's why you gotta realize, and I think we, when, we, when, we covered, when we covered Mao, and, and I remember pointing this out, Mao, when, he's talking, when they're talking about how to win a war, they're talking about, well, the main, the main case and point is mm-hmm. decentralized command, because he's talking about, hey, listen, the, the troops out on the battlefield gotta make adjustments, they gotta make things happen because they know what's best for their unit at the time. Mm-hmm. And yet, this same guy that says that about how to win a war says, oh, but for the government, we're gonna centralize everything. Mm-hmm. We're gonna centralize farming, and we're gonna mm-hmm. tell you what to plant and when to plant it and how much to plant, and you're all gonna die because it's not gonna work, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened. So it's a similar thing here where you can see clearly that there's a huge disconnect between the, the leadership on the battlefield and then what's going on with, the, with Hitler, the Nazis, and the way that they were thinking, the way Hitler was thinking. Uh, but some of the stuff is pretty disturbing too. When you when you think about how this whole nation was captivated, and you know this is something that the plasticity of the human mind is something I've been ta- I've been talking a lot about it on, on the academy, mm. and just how people are so gullible, and it's they can if you're not careful, you can get manipulated very easily, and there's no greater example of that than, than the Nazi Party in Nazi Germany, mm. just manipulation of the brain. People, people, crowd, mob mentality, which we talked about on the underground, mob mentality going on, and if that, if, well, if he's doing it, she's doing it, I guess we're doing it, yeah. and let's go. Yeah. And then you think about, you think about how, uh, I mean, look at society today, look at American society today, look at trend will go across American society today, and you'll think, whoa, that's a trend we can spot it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but people still do it, right? Yeah. People are in the trend yeah. and they're believing it. Yeah. Same thing happens. It, w- with the Nazis, but here's the thing you think have you ever known a 27 year old person that got caught up in some trend and kind of went down in some weird way went down. It went down Yeah, like went went off. Let's say went changed directions pretty radically in their life. Yeah, 27 year old human Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, what about a, a younger th- and older? What yeah. about a 32 year old human? Yeah, okay now, when, once somebody's 50 or 60, you know, ever know someone that's 50 or 60? No, It, it can still happen, but more rare, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it basically, as way. you get older, you're a little harder to manipulate, it would seem. It seems that way, yeah. But then when you start talking about 10, 11, 12-year-olds, yeah. these are super oh. pliable brains. Yeah. And so when I start talking about the Hitler Youth, you're gonna be thinking, You, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah. Here's a 10-year-old kid. An 11 year old kid, that's getting indoctrinated, that doesn't know anything else, yeah. then you can see where that's you can see where that's going to end up. Yeah. So, the the thing about the Third Reich, from a military and leadership perspective, th- look there there was a lot of them. 13, almost 14 million soldiers in the German army, and they were efficient. They were efficient. And they use you're gonna see and i don't i I don't speak German obviously, but the translation they use that term efficiency a lot mm. almost like it's a little bit scary <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so, you know where it's like hey is it wouldn't it be more efficient if you only had four three kids instead of four <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying like that kind of that kind of scary thing mm. so we're going to come across that word efficiency um and 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 the the, the German military, the Third Reich military was very effective and efficient at the beginning of the war. And many people would, I mean, look at what they did. They, rolled, they steamrolled through Europe very easily. Yeah. And a lot of people would say that they continued to keep up a very efficient methodology until that's when the Nazi generals were running the show. When you had guys like Rommel that was actually making calls. Rommel, who, by the way, eventually got executed by, by Hitler, but he was, you know, he was one of the guys that was running the show. And the further along the war went, the more Hitler started calling the shots. But they had some things that were that were causing them to be so effective early in the war. Mm-hmm. You know, they used mission type orders that utilized decentralized command. Not so much a leadership perspective, but they had some really good weapons. Um, B. H. Liddell Hart, who we've covered on this podcast, he. He, he Here's a quote from him, from, from his studies. On a man-for-man basis, German ground soldiers consistently inflicted casualties at about a 50% higher rate than they incurred from the opposing British and American troops under all circumstances. This was true when they were attacking and when they were defending, when they had a local num- numerical superiority and when, as was usually the case, they were outnumbered when they had air superiority and when they did not when they won and when they lost so they they were good at inflicting casualties on american and british troops they were better than we were at inflicting inflicting casualties on them that being said we had you know obviously more numbers and more aggressiveness over an extended period of time but that's just one example of the effectiveness of the german military in world war ii again especially in the beginning of the war and and there's there's more points like that but i don't want to i don't want to drill down onto that debate or or go deeper into that but there's no one that's going to say that the early german world war ii military was not an extremely effective military force and of course, I mean, we have to say that it did fall apart eventually against an incredibly adaptive and brave and smart and capable allied force. And, and I would say one of the best things about us Americans is we learned and we adapted. And I think that's something that maybe, you know, part of our culture is that we are able to do that. And w- when we allow ourselves to do that, it's gonna be one of the most beneficial things we can do, is go, oh, you know what, this isn't working, do something else. Mm. And I would say that the Germans were kind of the opposite. The further the war went, the less they adapted, the less they changed their, their strategies and their tactics. And what causes you to not change your strategies and tactics, it's when your ego gets too big. Mm. What causes your ego to get big? When you're winning a lot. So what, just look what happened. The Germans are winning a bunch, they, don't, they think that everything they're doing is right. We're losing. We're like, okay, we got to make adjustments. Mm. The British are saying we, we got to make adjustments. So we start making adjustments. They don't. Mm. We win. Look, ult, ultimate simplified terms, right? Mm. And I'm not trying to make a historical case. I'm just trying to review a, an assessment of some mindsets, broadly speaking. So this report is is an interesting report. Again, it's written in 1942. And um, let's take a look at it. What can we learn from it? That's the main thing. Mm. What can we learn from it? So this is September 17th, 1942. The, The report is called German Military Training. And it comes from the Military Intelligence Service of the War Department. Notice the information summarized here is based on a variety of sources on German manuals, on technical articles in German military reviews, and above all, on the detailed reports of United States observers who saw the German army at close range in its work of preparing for this war and during the first two years of conflict. That's where it came from. Introduction. This bulletin proposes to summarize information which will serve three purposes. One, it will permit a better appreciation of the basis of the German military strength. The strength of the German army and its early success in this war owe much to two factors, planning and training. The Nazi leaders planned this war for years in advance of their attack. They prepared for it by a system of military training which begins with children of high school age. The training system was directed by the old professional army. It depended on effort, thoroughness, and the, appre- and the application of old and tested principles to the means of w- modern warfare. As an observer remarks, the Germans believed that by hard work and hard training, they would, quote, save blood later and that's almost like a word for word quote from Patton. Mm-hmm. This training gave the German army a time advantage over its rivals, although this advantage is being steadily reduced. It will contribute number 2, it will contribute to our knowledge of characteristic German tactics. Those principles of tactics and leadership which are emphasized in training are inevitably reflected in the actual Con- conduct of operations. While this bulletin will make no detailed study of German tactics, it will bring out the main doctrines which are applied in battle as a result of training. Number three, it will suggest methods and points of view which may be useful in training U.S. troops. So, like, what can we learn from this? That's what they're saying. The, there are many basic similarities between U.S. training doctrines and those of the German army though there are naturally many differences in their use or application. We can learn from the differences as well as the similarities. As far as possible, concrete examples have been given and in in the appendixes there are detailed illustrations at some length of certain phases of the German training methods. So, training and preparation for military service. This is where you start thinking. This is when you start thinking, this is going to be a problem. If you're watching this, and this is from 1934. If you're watching this from the outside, you got to be thinking to yourself, this is this is going to be an issue. Here's what they got going on. The Nazi government from the start was dedicated to the purpose of war of conquest, and from 1934 on, the party controlled and directed every aspect of German life to this aim. So, right there, if you're looking on the outside, you you got to you got to realize we're going to have an issue. Mm-hmm. This is like someone that's training, lifting, doing jujitsu, like this whole person's life is for war. Mm -hmm. That's what the whole German world was. German military leaders have followed Clausewitz for years, but only under the Nazi regime could his key concept of total war be realized. The principle that every agency and every individual of a nation must be used in the effort of war. Nothing is more revealing of Nazi plans and methods than the application of this principle in a very broad program of military training. The goal of this program was a large and highly trained army, but the shaping of this army was not left to the two years of actual military training for conscripts. From the age of 14, boys were to receive a preparation for military service which would cover much of the basic training ordinarily given recruits. So starting at age 14, you're starting to get trained at age 14. Mm -hmm. So you're getting indoctrinated and you're getting trained at age 14. In addition, old men, older than conscript age with or without previous military service were to be given various types of auxiliary background or refresher training. So it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not in the military, you're getting military training, Mm. but ages 14 to 60. The Nazi party through its various branches was mainly responsible for civilian training outside the army proper. This included due concern for specialized training and skills needed for mechanized warfare. A National Socialist Flying Corps sponsored instruction in the rudiments of flying and in glider practice. The National Socialist Motor Corps trained a large reserve of youths in all type of driving for mechanized service and thus relieved army motor schools of many hours of instruction. A German article in 1940 claimed that 125,000 men had been given experience in military motorization. A motor boat corps cooperated with the army and marines to prepare men for water transport operations. So think about that. You've got 125,000 men that had been trained to drive vehicles, large vehicles, military-type vehicles. I mean, right now there's only 400,000. men or or women in the U.S. Army right now. Mm -hmm. So think about having 125,000 people that you can draw on that have this skill, Mm -hmm. and they haven't even been trained yet. You just got them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you've got people that know how to work on the vehicles, and by the way, you got a whole bunch of people that know how to fly planes. Kids that know how to fly gliders. The activities of the party are particularly concerned with the indoctrination of all German citizens for war. The basic ideas in this indoctrination are well known and are reiterated in Hitler's speeches. The theory of Germany's natural rights, the concept of the master race, the exaltation of the state and leader, the glorification of war and military virtues. The press. The schools press radio and movies are controlled by the party and support its efforts in every direction by propaganda which has no has to fear no rival. The penal code prevents any free discussion in the field of ideas. Every German household belongs to a local unit carry organized to carry out the party educational program. So they they're down for the cause. The, the, there's no you you don't know anything else. Yeah. And if you think about anything else, you're going to get found out and it's going to, you're going to get straightened out. That's what's going on. A German lieutenant has summoned up this work of indoctrination in his parents' home, in school in the Hitler Youth, in the subdivisions of the movement, in the shop, and in the labor service. The future army recruit has been bred as a National Socialist. He does not know anything else but allegiance to the National Socialist state and the life work of being a German. There you go. Mm. Training of the German Youth, the Hitler Youth, at the age of 10. German boys are brought into the Nazi scheme as members of the Young Young Volk organization and receive their first taste of official indoctrination. Real shaping for the army begins at 14 when they enter the Hitler Youth. Even before the war, this organization was mainly concerned with preparing boys for the army, both by instilling military mental attitudes and by military training. A U.S. observer gives the following description of an exercise of German boys carried out on a Sunday morning. So this is a Sunday morning. We got some German boys out there doing some uh, doing an exercise. Two groups, one mixed, one of mixed Hitler Youth and one of one of young folk, thirty strong and the other a similar group of 22 cyclists on 11 bicycles marched into Greenwald Forest under the command of a Hitler Youth. This boy appeared to be 15 or 16 years of age. He halted his command, dressed it with skill and precision, and announced his mission in a clear and definite manner. The enemy is reported advancing from the south to the north through Greenwald Forest. At seven o'clock he was reported to be entering the et cetera et cetera. My mission is to determine at once and report to headquarters the position and activity of advanced units. My sector is et cetera et cetera it will not be necessary to go into the young commander's estimate of the situation and his orders to his subordinates. They would have done credit to a professional army officer. This is a 15-year-old kid. That boy, still two or three years from active service as a private in the army, was able to estimate a difficult situation and organize and put into execution a rather complex plan to carry out his mission on a sector, of, sector nearly 1,000 meters wide. This demanded an extended series of rapid-fire orders. It was evident that he had control of his boys. A continuous stream of bicycle messengers carried his reports from advanced units to the leader's posts. He, he in turn, sent frequent written messages to some posts to his rear. The observer was frankly amazed at this performance and spent the entire morning with this group. To be sure, there was a certain amount of laughing and horseplay among the boys. This was not repressed, but any lack of attention to duty Called forth an immediate and severe rebuke from the leaders. It was evident that the youngster in charge was on his own. Some other means must have been provided for checking up on how well that youthful commander had accomplished his mission. Two of his units, one boy each, failed to follow instructions. Some were lost and some had difficulty in reporting clearly what they saw. Some failed in their individual missions, but the boy leader did not fail in his. He finally recalled all of his units with skill, marched them to the rear, and very ably praised and criticized individual performance. On the whole, it was a remarkable demonstration of how German military leadership is developed. 14 or 15 year old leader and then a bunch of 10 year old little Nazi soldiers out there on a Sunday
1: Mm.
0: another observer saw Hitler Youth Organization engaged in battalion maneuvers and reports that their performance would be credible to regular troops In 1939 the stormtrooper section of the Nazi party took charge of the Hitler youth and after the start of war boys 16 to 18 years of age were compelled to take six months of regular pre-military work the aim was to provide the army with the largest possible reserve of mentally physically and militarily trained young men the training includes infantry fundamentals care and use of weapons and signaling the Hitler youth has been used in various in a variety of auxiliary services during the war, spotting aircraft, performing office work at airports, painting runways, harvesting crops, tending children in day nurseries, collecting useful junk and trash, soliciting for the winter help, singing at the hospitals, and putting on entertainment for soldiers at the front. And obviously as the war went on and they lost more uh, adult males, the Hitler Youth started fighting as well, but this is where they started off. The following statistics based on estimate by a US observer suggest the scope of the variety of the Hitler Youth activities. The National Socialist Flying Corps furnished the Hitler Youth flyers with enough gliders, planes, and instructors to teach 135,000 boys how to fly each year. The motorized units of the Hitler Youth enrolled 295,000 boys each year. The National Socialist Party set up 1,300 repair shops for the units and each year provided them with 5,000 motorcycles. The Hitler Youth Marines had an annual enrollment of 78,000. The National Socialist Party supplied the Hitler Youth with 10,000 revolvers a year and a large number of rifles. Enough rifles were furnished to enable 30,000 outstanding marksmen to participate in rifle matches the Hitler Youth had its own firearms school. During an average 12 months, the Hitler Youth conducted 3,540 official outdoor camps which were attended by 565,000 boys. That's every 12 months. This, um, That's bigger than the U.S. Army, by the way. <laughs> 565,000. That's bigger than the U.S. Army. So, That's bigger than the United States Marine Corps.
1: Let me ask you this. What's your current right now? What's your current like feeling about this? Does this sound like real sinister or does it sound like kind of squared away? Well, it's both. Yeah, that's what that's kind (laughs) of why I asked, because a part of me is kind of like, well, just because it's overshadowed by the fact that it's the Nazis. It's like, oh, my God, this seems real sinister. But you get that part away. Like what if it was like for something good? It's kind of like. that's a squared away group right there. you got that much preparation from that early on <clears throat> and that many capable people starting from that early. Yeah that's kind of solid. Like you could apply that concept to some good things and that might help us.
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately <laughs> for you that little that little part about them being Nazis <laughs> is a know. real freaking problem. <laughs> it's a big
1: deal. It's <laughs> a is, real yeah. problem.
0: but mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things going on there. just just the fact that they their 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 foresight is so strong that they're going, hey, look, we're gonna be fighting a war in X number of years, we need people that can work on vehicles, we need people yeah. that can fly planes, we need people that can drive vehicles, we need people that can fight, we need people that can can shoot well, like they're just covering yeah. all the bases.
1: Yeah, and and obviously the part that's very glaring, besides the fact that they're Nazis, is um, how they're forced, like the use of force, where they have to do it. Yeah. And if you even think about other stuff, that's a violation. Yeah. yeah.
0: And we'd have to—I'd have to do some more research on this. But I can tell you, from what I know, the term "forced" is not like a, a great term to use because everyone was so swept up in the movement mm-hmm. that it was more like—that's like saying uh during World War II in America, you know, Americans were forced to start a victory garden. Oh, yeah. You know what a victory garden is? No. Victory gardens where. You know, you go out in your yard and you plant tomatoes and carrots for yourself, so you didn't have to. So, so you could. You didn't have to uh, get stuff from the store. Oh, okay. So you could. So everyone didn't need to take supplies away from the soldiers.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, you didn't get forced to do that. You did that because that's what we were doing to help out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: So when you see like the young Hitler Youth, yeah, th- yeah. they're not like being dragged away to yeah. camp. No, they're they're fired up to go. And that's what we're doing, and that's what they've been told, and 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 they're also getting told like, well, this is what we do, and this is what makes us better than everyone else.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That is that is different. Still, seems sinister.
0: Oh, it's a hundred percent sinister. But yeah, it is different. (laughs) Because the the ultimate purpose is we're going to take over the world. Yeah, yeah. The last part there it says in one year six million German boys participated in sports events organized by the Hitler Youth Office. Next section is labor service at the age of 18 German boys entered a entered a compulsory labor service For a six-month term the labor service work gave them excellent conditioning and hardening Furthermore it accustomed men to living in groups under military discipline And again, you know what this is what's interesting about the military That stuff brings you together and makes you feel good and makes you a better person. Yeah and it makes you bond with your f- friends. You wanna, wanna get people together? You want want people to bond? Put, make them do hard stuff together. Yeah. That's literally how you make people bond. Shared suffering. Yeah. So we're gonna go out, we're gonna work really hard in the fields, and at the end of the day, we're gonna come back and we're gonna have meals together and we're gonna go out and do the next thing, the same thing the next day. Yeah. And, and people that work hard are gonna be rewarded. And people that slack off are gonna be cast out. So you see what I'm saying here. This is like a huge unifying thing. It's not the, it's not forced labor like, "Oh god, they're going to put No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, here's your chance. Hey, you're going to get to go to to get to go to the 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 labor service.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you're old enough to do labor service now. It's going to be great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: With the outbreak of the war, most of the male labor service units were transferred to the armed forces to serve as construction companies. And the size of the units were increased from 200 to 400, in some cases 600. On December 20th, 1939, a law ordered that normal labor service for men was to continue despite the special war work of the construction companies. The labor service youths performed miscellaneous tasks in rear areas, being kept out of combat areas as much as possible and also says generally the girls' branch performs none of these duties except pertaining to agriculture. They work in factories and do other types of work on the home front. So the the females were going into this too. But the males were cultivating farms in occupied areas, doing agricultural work in Germany wherever there are labor shortages, constructing and maintaining important highways, constructing and improving fortifications, bridges and airports, salvaging equipment, munitions and material in battle areas, policing battlefields, performing sentry duty in occupied areas, camouflaging and sandbagging military establishments, and assisting in the transportation of food, ammunition and fuel during rapid military advances. So they're basically just full combat support. Mm. And where does this end up? Here's the conclusion. When German youths at 19 were inducted for military service, most of them had already had the equivalent of basic military training, were in excellent physical condition, and had been indoctrinated both with Nazi ideology and military attitudes. As a result, their training period as conscripts could move very rapidly through preliminary stages. In two or three months, the conscripts could take part in maneuvers involving divisions or armies. Because of the work done by the Hitler Youth and the Labor Service, the two-year training in the army could advance much more rapidly and effectively. So that's a brilliant plan. Hey, when, when people are finally ready to serve at 19, we're already going to have them almost completely trained up. They're, they're going to be almost completely trained up. We don't have to waste, I mean, Marine Corps boot camp is 13 weeks. And then you go to the uh, School of Infantry. The Army boot camp is, I don't know, eight weeks. And then you go to AIT, the, the Army Infantry Training. So, so you're, you're, it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take four, five, six months to get a, someone ready to fight. Mm-hmm. They're cutting two, three, four months out of that program, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, German boys had received good opportunity to practice and develop qualities of leadership and officer material was already clearly marked out by the time they reached military age. So they're, they're looking for leaders. <sighs> Next section, work of the SA, the Stormtroopers, the brown shirts, which is the Nazi paramilitary wing. One of the most active branches of the Nazi party, the SA, had particular responsibility in connection with the Hitler youth. In addition, the SA performed important functions in giving a certain amount of military training to older civilians, both within and outside its own ranks. The SA as a military reserve, when the Nazi party was rising to power, the SA and the elite guard, the SS, was in effect a private army of Hitler. When he seized control of the state, the SA was gradually merged into the framework of the military system and became more closely connected with the regular army. By 1935, more than 100 divisions called brigade of SA troops had been organized, including men over 45 years old. The regiments were named after their old pre-Versailles units and carried on their traditions. Only a few units were technically part of the armed forces, and the main function of the SA was to provide continuous and effective military training for a large mass of civilian populace outside the regular two-year two service conscripts in the regular army. By 1939, the SA had been organized to provide specialist training in such lines as cavalry signaling, engineers, medical service, and navy. One of its important jobs was given to military training of men over 21 who had not received any training in the pre-Hitler years when Germany's army had been restricted to a small standing army. The SA gave a coveted sports medal on a basis which shows how very well everything in their program was pointed toward military service. The examinations for this medal include, aside from running and swimming tests, rifle shooting, camouflage, hand grenade throwing, Marching 25 kilometers with a 25 pound pack and a 200 meter dash in gas mask, etc. By 1939, this sports medal had been acquired by 800,000 men outside the SA ranks. This is total war, and we're all that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to think as you watch World War II unfold that Hitler was able to push as hard as he did. And mm. Get his get away with as much as he did without somebody going hey, bro, you're done. <laughs> you can't do this anymore <laughs> An important aspect of the essay uh, An important aspect of the essay control of the reservists was the fact that all these men would remain completely under the influence of the Nazi party and doctrine and controls conclusion with the approach of war the sa members were largely called into the regular armed forces as individuals rather by than by units enough of the leaders remained however to continue to work with the hitler youth and with other older civilians not yet called out According to one estimate, 1,500,000 men were receiving SA training largely on Sundays and evenings in the spring of 1940. The work done by the SA provided a great mass of partially trained men in all age groups who, would be, who could be quickly organized and used in regular divisions on the outbreak of war. A large part of the German military training had been accomplished with men who were technically in civilian status. As a result, a German division during the war could be sent to combat with a minimum of training. let just... They're just focused on on this one thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they knew it was coming. And it's strange to think that the rest of the world, I mean, the rest of the world knew it was coming. You can go back and look at those old like uh, political cartoons mm-hmm. and you'll see all the political t- cartoons are showing Hitler and, and Germany just getting ready to go ham. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a very interesting section here. Procurement and training of officers. In preparing for the large army used in his war of conquest, Hitler faced the serious problem of developing an adequate number of trained officers to operate 300 or more divisions and the various specialized corps and services. This problem was solved in large part between 1933 and the beginning of the war. One advantage at the start was that the small standing army army permitted by Germany by the Versailles Treaty had, had been excellently trained. So after World War I, Germany wasn't allowed to have a big army, they were allowed to have like this little tiny army, and so they focused on that army really hard and got them very well trained. Also, it had preserved the best traditions of the old German army, and constituted a valuable reservoir of officer material for the rapid expansion of the new army. In addition, there were available many thousands of men who had served in the First World War, and who could be used again. Many of these took part in the SA training activities discussed earlier. Finally, the German general staff maintained its high standards and prestige and was ready to deal with this problem of officer procurement. So they knew out of the gate that leadership was going to be an issue and that they were going to have to field good officers. And how do you do that? You need to recruit the right officers and then you need to train them properly. Officer training prior to the war, the program of training which produced most of the regular Army officers in this period throws light on the character of the army its relation to the pre-Hitler army and the high quality of standards prescribed for officers the civilian youth wishing to secure admission applied to the particular regiment or unit of his choice so if you want to be an officer you got to apply to a specific unit hey I want to be an officer he must be unmarried be an Aryan and have a certificate of graduation from a gymnasium which is apparently the equivalent to his second year uh, US college work. He was given interviews by an examining board of officers and examinations which tested his moral qualities and his ability to stand up under strain. Much importance was attached to a psychological test. After passing these examinations, the candidate, now a cadet, served for one year in the ranks of the unit which received him. So that's pretty cool. Mm. So you apply, they screen you, they test you, they see how you respond to pressure. If they accept you, you go in and you, you become one of the troops. You don't become an officer, you just become one of the troops and you serve in the ranks. There he received the same training given ordinary recruits and enjoyed no favors. It was desired that the, that the cadets should thereby learn to understand the mental attitudes, problems, and points of view of the common soldier on the side and in addition to regular training, the cadets did special study on the use of weapons. After this year, so after a year of that, so you go and you're gonna be a normal trooper. Mm. After after this year, the cadets were sent to a military school for nine months and received basic training in military theory identical for all branches of the service. So that's a pretty good move. You take everybody from the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, you put them all through the same training so they all have a baseline of knowledge and understanding. Mm. There were four such schools admirably equipped without regard to expense. The course included field exercises. About 2,500 officers a year could be turned out in these schools. After these nine months, the cadets went to a weapons school destined to bring the candidates back to earth from their theoretical courses. Here they received training appropriate for their particular branch and an opportunity to command and train units attached to the school. Finally, the cadet performed two or three months tour of duty back with his regiment and then, if elected by unanimous vote of the officers in his unit, he was received for promotion for promotion as a second lieutenant. This method which bears the hallmark of the old Prussian aristocratic tradition was, mod, was modified gradually by provisions which made it more possible for reserve officers and specially qualified NCOs to obtain commissions. That is a thorough screening process. Mm to get to be a, an officer in the military. even I mean, you come back from all that training and then they have to have a unanimous vote that you're good to go, and only then do you become a second lieutenant? He said that there's the hallmark of the old Prussian aristocratic tradition. That seems a lot less aristocratic than so, Than the American system. The American system, you become an officer if you go to college. Mm. So if you're my, if is my kid, and I'm like, well, you know, I kind of want you to be in charge. I'm gonna send you to college, and mm. then you can go be an officer. Mm. Here, you gotta apply, then you gotta get screened, then you gotta serve as a grunt, then you gotta get screened again, then you gotta go to this school for nine months, then you gotta get come and get voted on to see if you're gonna be an officer or not.
1: Yeah. And what do you think that's based on the American way to do it like where you have to go to college first like do you know what the basis for that? Yes yeah, uh,
0: So it's it's an aristocratic thing. I want oh, I'm a rich aristocrat. I want my son echo to be a leader I don't want him being with the troops. Yeah, I don't want him to be with the enlisted swine <laughs> No, sure. So I'm gonna send him to college and then he becomes an officer.
1: Yeah, but then why why is that the criteria though? Dude, you know yeah. like I wonder what? I mean, maybe on the surface you can kind of tell because, like, well, if you go to college, that means you're obviously smart. Therefore, an officer, as a leader, has to be smart or something. Kind of a th- thing. That's what it feels like, anyway. Is that's that it? The,
0: That's probably conceptually, but that's has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, the reality. You mean that the reality of it. Has nothing to do with reality. It? Yeah, but it's so okay. I mean, there,
0: there are brilliant. Enlisted guys. Yeah, that's what I think. Grew up in Wisconsin on a farm, and they, the parents didn't have any money to send him to college, so he enlisted in the army.
1: Yeah. So what? What? Now he might
0: eventually become an officer. He might put in for his commission or whatever. But he's already, he's not going to be caught up to the guy that was grew up in with with a rich family that was like, listen, son, you're going to college and you're going to be an officer.
1: Yeah. So how is that the criteria? Like, why did that come about that that was the criteria? It's Uh, the
0: aristocrat. It's the that's why I'm laughing because they're saying this is like the aristocratic tradition. I'm like, hey, if you're whoever wrote this in 1942, the -hmm. officers were aristocratic tradition in America 100%. Yeah, it's an aristocratic tradition. Oh, well, you've been to college, so then you get to be in charge of all these people that haven't been to college, right? Because you're a higher class, because you're a higher class, you're an aristocrat. They're not, yeah, kind of when you think about it, especially that part about voting them in. Oh, yeah, like that's kind of like and making him a grunt right now Look if you go to the Naval Academy or you go to West Point you spend like the summer on a ship mm. As like a swabby mm-hmm. Right, but that's not the same as doing a year in a line unit It's yeah. <laughs> not the same dude oh, yeah. and th- and that you have to do that in order to get recommended yeah. Because there's a lot of officers if they actually spent time as a grunt people would be like "Oh, dude, this not This guy can't get what? This guy ain't got what it takes. He might be, be able to graduate college. Being able to graduate college has almost no bearing on being fit to lead troops in combat.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. So in a way, and obviously I don't know, obviously, but in a way, this way that they're talking about kind of seems like, more accurate, more like like a a better better system. Yes, it does. So they got to go through
0: like kind of more, more applicable stuff to, to achieve and get, 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 um, you put somebody with a line unit where, even if they're a machine gunner, they're machine, they spend six months as a machine gunner. They may, they become a fire team leader. That person, you'd be able to go, Hey, this guy's a really good fire team leader. He yeah, he should make it into this, go to the officer school. But if he's a dud yeah, as a fire team leader, He's not going to be a good squad leader. He's not going to be a good platoon leader. Yeah, which kind of,
1: and which seems like that just because you go to college, it wouldn't necessarily screen any duds out.
0: It's going to screen zero it? duds out, or, or close to zero.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and then at the end, as a final, I'm assuming screening scenario, yeah, you got to get voted on. Yeah, yeah. If if somehow you maneuvered your yeah. way through, after this you and spend that,
0: two or three months there. Yeah. So you get. What do you think you're going to go through in those two or three months? I'm going to be testing you. Like if I'm one of the other awesome, be like, all right, let's see how you are doing. Let here run a raid on this on this training mission. Yeah. Let's see how you do, bro.
1: And wouldn't because like you know how there's it's kind of like Survivor. Remember you know that show Survivor. Yeah. On TV or whatever, it's kind of like that. It's like the final the final judgment where it's like you can maneuver your way through stuff and whatever yeah. but if they at the end of the day don't want you to win or be on the team or be an officer be whatever yeah. if your
0: team does not want that 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 show was kind of messed up the way the i think it was an unintended consequence of the show was yeah. that you know if, if who the people that got would get crushed first would be the people that had the 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 most potential yeah, Do you remember in, that?
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, you're I think you're right unintended. It seems like an
0: unintended consequence Yeah, right?
1: but it did kind of lead to the the natural evolution of the game game like where yeah, there
0: was more game to it Yeah, yeah. cuz it's like when the game you first within start, the game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's really what We could say because because like, you might be or, like
0: hey, look what well, they had challenges right two yep. teams and here's the challenge yep. and your thought should be hey I'm gonna help the team win this challenge because I'm good at uh, uh rope climbs, right? Yeah. Hey, I'll. D- we got to do four rope climbs. I'll do three of them. Yeah. And 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 then you know someone do the last one because I'm gonna be tired. Okay, cool. Let's get rid of Jocko. He's too strong. Yeah. You same. know what I'm saying? So that's actually what happened on that TV
1: show. Oh yeah. So it and I, the w- weird thing is I, I actually don't watch that much, <clears throat> but I've watched I enough just remember to be like,
0: like, like one one season of it. I think the first season that came on, or maybe the second season. Well, the first season yeah. had Rudy Bosch on it, who's like a, a, a epic seal, okay. and you know one of the, like most respected, awesome old school seals. And he was, and he was pretty old when he did it. Yeah. He he unfortunately passed away, but just uh, so you know everyone kind of was watching like see see what the show was about.
1: Yeah, actually, one season one of the girls from here from Victor was on there. Really? Or oh, yeah, one of the uh, Kara K. Okay, I'm pretty sure those survived. Right on. How'd yeah. she do? I don't know, I forget, I didn't watch it, but I, I watched like some of them, you know, I don't I know who won though, but um, yeah, it was Survivor. So why
0: are you talking about this again?
1: Because right. at the end they got the council. So that council scenario. Oh. So, you so if you were a
0: total backstabber,
1: backstabber then, then the
0: council would vote you out. That's only
1: one reason though. That's only one reason or like if you're hard to get along with somewhere along the lines, they would vote you off because of that. But somewhere along the lines, they would utilize those things, too. So basically, it gave rise to like this game within the game, just Mm -hmm. like how you said, where you being strong at challenges is an element. It can be used for your advantage or against (laughs) you, you know, kind of a thing. And that goes for every quality that each individual demonstrates. So the thing about Survivor, unfortunately, it's like a winner-take-all kind of a thing at the end where they just
0: get money, one guy, mm-hmm. actually two people. but Did anyone ever make deals to say like, hey, if you and I win, I'll give you half?
1: I don't know Shake of any, but it. if that were to happen, that wouldn't surprise me yeah. because it's all within the game, you know, because I think at the end too or towards the end. How much the did end, they win, a million? I think $1 million, yeah. And then the second guy, second place got... Way less but a significant amount as well. Jack. But it at the end of it too, or towards the end, they would um if you got voted off, it's like at the last four or five or however many people, if you get voted off, you get to go on to this council that has a say in yeah. who's gonna win or right, something like that. Right. So see how that weird balance yep. kinda is where it's like you get voted off, you better be squared away. You better be a good person, you better be whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like the final you know, thing yep. where it's like, yeah, you could be good at this, this, and this, but if you don't have, at the end of the day, enough of what it takes that we think, everyone mm. else in the group, within the group thinks, but you ain't gonna make it, I don't care what, how cool you think you yeah. are.
0: Yeah, it's good to have multiple assessments, which yeah. is the program that we're looking at right here with the Nazis data, multiple assessments yeah. Yeah. in the actual environment where you need to step up, yeah. and you're gonna get a, a decent result more decent than said, well, you know, Fred went to college, so he should be in charge of a, of a platoon of soldiers. Yeah. You know, he. hey, look, there's some great officers. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is there's great officers that went to the academies, mm-hmm. there's great officers that went to ROTC, there's great officers that went to OCS. Mm. There's horrible officers that went to the academies, there's horrible officers that went to OCS, there's horrible officers that did ROTC. Mm. It, and it kind of surprised me when I first worked with military academy officers. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, hey, these, these guys have been training for four years to be leaders.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, this guy's
0: gonna be awesome. <laughs> <Not a laughs> that was not always the case. Yeah. And I realized that it was more about, that you could have some office, awesome officers that went to the academies, and you could have some terrible ones. Yeah. And you could have all, you know, it didn't matter where they were from, it was who they were as people. That was <laughs> what was much more important.
1: Yeah, deep. So when you went to college, because you went after, right? Yep. You know, yep. first. So when you went to college, do you think that that college experience helped you in your officer position? It
0: helped me because I became a better writer and reader. Yeah. Like I, I was an English major. And but, I, I remember reading like directives and rules of engagement. Mm. And, and not that I knew, I knew how to read them so that I would understand them better. And I got that from having to read Shakespeare, bro, I hate to say it, I know it sounds like freaking yeah. stupid, but when you read Shakespeare, you, you have to look up the words, you have to see what the context is. Mm. And I realized, if, when I, before I went to college, I'd be like, I don't really know what that means, but whatever, yeah. I get the gist, right? <laughs> and that, <laughs> getting the gist doesn't cut it. Yeah, thanks, and then sure. I realized also writing a report, or writing an award, or writing an evaluation, same thing. I'm like, you, he'll know what I means. no. I'm going to make sure that my boss understands what this means. And you think that college taught you that? 100%. I mean, dude, I I was, one time I took five English classes in one semester. (laughs) That was ignorant, bro. That was one of the dumbest (laughs) things I've done. Because I was just reading, I was reading and writing just like 10, 12 hours a day. On the weekends, I remember just Mm -hmm. reading books. It was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. yeah, And
0: I took this one class. I was like, oh, this would be good, like nice little skater class, a little skate class. It was sure. uh literature and film. Yeah, cool. we'll watch school. right. So yeah. you got lowered right into it just like <laughs> I did. <laughs> it was like you spend all you know, you gotta read the book and then they get, then you watch a movie that they made from the book. Oh yeah. But okay. watching the movie takes an hour. But yeah. you still spent twelve hours reading this freaking godforsaken book. Oh yeah. Especially so it wasn't it wasn't good.
1: I understand. it, yeah. it bothered good, me. Good that's a good tip right there, by the way. Because in theory, you take all English, you're like, shit, I'll have to think about anatomy or freaking Mm -hmm. whatever else class. I don't have to think about that, I just think about English or literature, whatever we're doing.
0: No, no, no. Check this out, there's a book called Tom Jones, which is an outstanding book. It's an amazing book. It's probably 700 pages long with tiny, tiny, tiny writing Mm. and paper thin little sheets of paper. Mm. And it's really descriptive and and it's about human nature and it tells this story, elaborate story with all these different characters. And so we read this book and then we watch the movie. In the movie there's no talking. <laughs> the, whole, the whole movie's no talking. They're just acting. They're just doing things. It, it just it was it was real like just picture any book. Picture any book that you've ever read and there's no and then you take that. I mean just uh, what's it what's it like a take picture of Tom Clancy What what, have you ever read? What's a movie that was a book that you like? A movie that was a book that I like. uh, Fight Club. Okay, so picture Fight Club. They take that book and they make a movie and there's no talking in it. Because that's literally what they did.
1: I see what they're doing though. Yeah. I I
0: know why they assigned that. Yeah, Yeah. no, it was cool. It was cool. It was very cool to watch how they did it Mm -hmm. and just see the interactions and you could could totally tell what was going on just by the way they were looking at each other, the way they carried themselves, their body language, all this stuff. And, and it was pretty amazing to watch. For real. <laughs> but, but guess what? Still had to read that freaking book. Still had to read that book. And it bothered me because, because I would always read everything that I was told to read, right? And I think I might be the only person in college that, as a that has ever done that. <laughs> personal
1: right? challenge.
0: And I would get, like, you give us a quiz to check to make sure you read when mm. you did the reading. Yeah, yeah. So they give you a little check. And the check is these are just questions, you know, if you read it, you're gonna know. Yeah. And I missed the first, qu- the, the first quiz about Tom Jones. Mm-hmm. I missed, I missed a qu- one question and I was so mad. And here's what made me mad is that it said, this is a, bu- it says basically, this is a book about human nature. Mm-hmm. And the question was like, what is the, or it said like the main theme of this book is human nature. And so the question on the test was, "Hey, what is the main theme in this book?" And I put like the kind of the plot that was starting to unfold, but that was wrong, Mm, and I was bummed out. Missed it. That's the one question I missed in that class. You're still mad about it. I'm still mad. Obviously, I'm sitting here. (laughs) What's that word? What's the word they use now to describe a little bit mad? Salty. Salty. I'm a little bit salty about that. Salty about that one.
1: Uh, So okay, so. when you go to college, I think I
0: went to the professor too and I was like, well, hey, what you marked this wrong?
1: <laughs> you contested it? Yeah. You contested it And actually, this. that professor
0: was really cool. Uh, she was cool. And I had had another class when I was like, hey, uh, you know, doctor, you, know, you marked this wrong. Just want to, you know, just show you that you accidentally marked this wrong, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, no, it's a book of the theme of human nature. And I was like, well, where are you getting that from? And she points to the sentence that literally says that. And I was like, cool. I won't miss another question this <laughs> semester. All nuts. She said, "I know John because they all called me John. The only place in the world anyone's that that group of people called me John yeah, was yeah. when I went to college, because it was on my what is that the the what's the roll call called in a college attendance sheet yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So then my name was John, and they'd be like John, yes." Seems to make sense. I was me like, well you can call me Joe. I didn't you know. That's yeah. not my thing, bro. That's not, like, that's not my thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? I dig it. I dig so. it
1: fully. So it so when you go to college for let's say your situation, obviously mm-hmm. there's other scenarios, but your situation, you enlisted, boom, time to go to the officer. Program.
0: I went to Officer Candidate School. Candidate yeah.
1: School, and then do you go to college after that? During, I did.
0: I happened to go to college okay. afterwards. My my program was very strange.
1: Okay, so you, let's say whatever the protocol is. Right. So you go to college. Is there are there like majors that you can and cannot take to fulfill? Yes, them?
0: there are. I don't know what they are, but they're pretty. I mean, I don't think you could take like some totally crazy, unapplicable thing. Yeah. But you can. I mean, I took English.
1: Yeah so there, I mean but the it it feels like English would be like if there was a, a, a list of majors that you could have yep. and then the rest are unacceptable right. for this program Yeah you think English would English be English would be on the list sure. it feels like it but yeah. there were you th- or there were the,
0: you definitely can't pick something that's like I don't think you could pick theater Yeah like, because they'd say, "Hey, when when actually, you know, you're going to be standing up in front of t- talking in front of people, you might want to get good at public speaking, yeah. right?" Yeah. But I don't think you could take theater. I don't think. Although I had one of my uh, one of my assistant platoon commanders. He was, you know, as a as I was getting to know him, like, "Well, what did you study in college?" You know what he studied in college? Mm. <laughs> he studied percussion, the drums. Yeah. That's what he he he. That's what his degree was in percussion. Yeah. I'm like, bro. Doesn't seem like this is not going to help you too much in the day. <laughs>
1: yeah, or like a um, you know how people go hard with like French poetry or yeah, something like yeah. that.
0: Where no, I don't think you could get more useless than percussion. Even French poetry might be more useful than percussion. <laughs>
1: I <laughs> and I mean, it. he was awesome, a freaking yeah. great guy. But was he good at drumming?
0: Yeah, hell yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. There you go. All right, um, so this seems like a very squared away methodology for them to, to, to select their officer. Now we get into the training. With the approach of the war, the programs for officer training were enlarged and speeded up. In 1940, US observers estimated that schools were turning out about 6,500 officers every four months and that 30,000 new officers entered the army between September 1939 and December 1940. Man, they are on an explosive growth curve. Men applying for the for a commission in the regular army continued to undergo relatively long training course in principle as thorough as that of peacetime and quite similar in plan. Candidates for temporary war commissions apparently receive a shorter period of training, sometimes according to observers and reports for a few months only. All candidates for officer grades must have had 15 months of service and at least two months of experience in the field as a leader of a section or platoon. Although these standards ensure that candidates have had considerable background training, nevertheless, expanding the German Army to six times its peacetime figures has produced obvious problems. Many reserve officers and NCOs have been commissioned from the ranks and from veterans of the First World War. Civilians have been appointed to administrative posts. Older officers and civilian specialists have been thus used to free the line officer for his main task, leadership of troops in combat. Attention has paid, been paid to the continuation training of officers in the field. So they had a way of taking, hey, like Echo Charles was a video guy in the civilian world, and they're like, oh, you know what? You're gonna become an officer, but you're gonna be in charge of propaganda. And you're gonna go make videos for the Third Reich and meanwhile Jocko who is a sergeant in the army and Was a platoon leader or a platoon sergeant in the army. We're gonna make him an infantry officer Mm -hmm. So they had a way of kind of putting people and using utilizing the 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 knowledge that they had in a way that's gonna help the whole overall effort Continuation training of officers. This has received a good deal of attention since the start of the war owing to the relatively short training received by many officers. The Germans are particularly concerned with the progressive training of company officers on whom depends the combat efficiency of the fighting units. One of the essential duties of a commanding officer in wartime is to ensure the further military education of his junior officers who must be made to realize that to stand still is to retrogress. Interesting word, retrogress.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like degress? But this big. is
0: this is so important. When you're in charge of people, you're in charge of training them, and you're in charge of training your subordinate leaders. Yeah. There's no training cadre. There's no big group up above you in the chain of command. You are in charge of it, <laughs> and that's the same. Should be the same in any company. It should be the same in your life. You're in charge of it. <laughs> Take charge of it, and then w- the main thing that they're trying to they must be made to realize is that to stand still, is to retrogress. That's what the Nazis were about. Blitzkrieg, right? We're moving, we're gonna get after it.
1: Yeah.
0: The concept of continuation training is broad. It involves a review of fundamentals with constant reference to the manual of troop leadership. It stresses the need for versatility. The infantry officer must, be, must familiarize himself with the, cap- the capacities of other arms than his own. Above all, the officer must prepare himself for emergency service in the next higher grade or for replacing comrades in other executive positions. It is the responsibility of senior officers to assist their juniors in training for the next higher grade. So they put such an emphasis on training their subordinate leadership. German sources illustrate these principles. In the first place, let us outline the requirements for the development of our officers. The strength of the German army has lain and still lies in the platoon commander at the front. This will remain so in the future and the example of our lieutenants as he stands and fights at the front cannot be emulated by any nation on earth, according to a well-known saying of Bismarck. Again, that's some good propaganda. You're telling these young lieutenants, you're the one that's going to make a difference. It's like the Marine Corps, squad leader makes a difference. Yep, especially when you say it like that, by the way. Yeah, it's good propaganda. Very good propaganda. One would misjudge the lieutenant's mission entirely, however, if one would have him conform exclusively to the services of and requirements for a platoon commander. So it's not just a platoon commander you're gonna be. Actual conditions require much more of the lieutenant than mere services such. Any lieutenant may, at any time, have to educate, train, and lead a company, battery, or other similar unit, and any lieutenant may suddenly have to serve as a staff officer, or even as an adjutant, or aide-de-camp. The the progressive training of the officer corps must be carried out with this eventuality in mind. So you're not just trained to be a platoon leader, you're trained to be a a company commander, a battery commander, a staff officer, that's what you're training to, to do everything. If the officer is ready to serve in several different capacities at a moment's notice, he must be thoroughly indoctrinated in the fundamentals of tactics. This point emphasized in the German source just quoted. One difficulty is that a great many young officers have no knowledge of the fundamentals of tactics. Many dangerous mistakes arise from this fact, And during lessons there is often vague discussion because of a lack of understanding. Lack of indoctrination is the most serious defect. It results in many unnecessary commands. It results in many unnecessary commands. So if you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna make a bunch of unnecessary commands. Mm One must insist, therefore, that thorough indoctrination of all officers regarding tactical principles is absolutely essential. Young officers must be thoroughly familiar with the tactics of all units up to and including the battalion. In this connection, must, much work is needed. Older officers must work to teach the younger ones, must work hard to learn. It is an open question as to which task is most difficult, but that is immaterial. The important thing is to attain a clearly defined objective. The ideal desire here was summed up by a German officer in a conversation with an observer. We apply simple methods to our leadership. You will find that our lower units are so trained that many in them beside the leader is capable of taking command. So there you go. Keeping things simple, people, there's multiple layers of leadership ready to take over when needed and we're training and indoctrinating them into the basic tactics so everyone knows and understands. Standards for officers, section five, the German army tradition set high standards for officers both as to character and as to professional ability. Great attention is paid to this subject in professional journals and books particular concern is shown for officers of company rank. This is partly because in a rapidly expanding army it was necessary to observe and integrate a large number of new officers at lower grades. But it is also due to a conviction that efficiency and leadership standards of these officers are of crucial importance for the combat success of the army. These officers actually lead the units in the frontline combat. With this principle in mind, the German general staff has followed a policy which is described very clearly by a U.S. observer. Quote, in the German army, leadership is emphasized more than generalship. The general officer must, of course, combine to an outstanding degree proved qualifications for field leadership, mental resiliency, and executive capacity supported by unusual physical stamina and ruggedness of Constitution. German general officers were selected on this basis prior to mobilization. They won their positions in the pre-war, building, training, and equipping of the modern army. All of them have had World War experience. As far as we know, none of them has been relieved from command during operations. The efficiency and ability of these German generals seems to be taken for granted. They have received practically no publicity during the war, only one general, General of Infantry Eduard Dietl, who commanded at N- Narvik, has been brought before the public for his accomplishments. For his accomplishments, this was not for his generalship, but for the qualities of leadership displayed in situations normally met with leaders lower in the command. So they're not even hyping up generals and you could see this is probably an ego thing you know like hitler doesn't want generals getting any glory he's like hey give the glory to the soldiers and but what, we got one general that kind of acted like a badass okay we'll give him some credit but everybody else you're just doing your job give the glory to the troops you think you think you think hitler wanted competition
1: no, no but okay so what's the strategy that, according to your theory obviously i think that's what you're saying mm-hmm. is that um like okay, so since the troops aren't really in competition for glory, at like the top guy. So it give them the glory, give them you know kind of the, the cred and the the, you know the props. Right. Because generals essentially can be in competition yeah, with him. might be competition. Like he looks me. at them as kind of a threat for the yeah. glory in a way.
0: Like we go to a a jitsu tournament, and and you're the you're a black belt and you win. But I'm like, hey, you know what? Good job, you know, Fred in the white belt category. And uh, on Monday, I get, give a big speech and I give credit to all like the junior troops because mm-hmm. you're kind of a threat. And I'm like, I'm not giving this guy any credit. You uh, see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah
1: like, the, yeah, like some people, like a general is high enough rank that he might kind of yeah, like might supersede little, yeah. my glory because he's yeah. too close to my, my, yeah. my lane.
0: Interesting. Didn't like that. I understand. He says, on the contrary, leaders in the lower command have received a great deal of publicity since the outbreak of the war. So every young, you know, German soldier that does something awesome is getting this full blown credit. Mm. And by the way, what was Hitler during World War I? He was a corporal. Mm. He was running around. Uh, he was a communicator. Run, he was a runner. Mm. So he's, he's giving credit to those guys. Another general principle underlying German training of officers is the view that good leaders can be developed for lower commands by carefully training for leadership is not confined to a few individuals gifted with superior qualities however every effort is made to find the right place for each individual according to his special aptitudes and a good deal of shifting is done in order to accomplish this so they take guys and they go oh you know what you're not this you know what echo you might be want to be over here in the propaganda area because you're not good at making videos but we're not going to put you up there running troops Mm -hmm. you're (laughs) saying A German officer in conversation accounted for his German military success in a way which brings out main standards of leadership prized in his army. And this is what this German officer says I would say that the success of our leadership depends upon the selection of officers of proved character and skill and upon our system of learning each required task and maneuver to perfection by repeated process. One can only learn by doing. The proverb Wiesen ist macht knowledge is power is in truth not accurate knowledge becomes power only when it is being successfully applied in the gaining of an objective so just cuz you know something doesn't mean anything mm. and then they talk about character and again it's very strange to be reading a book about freaking nazis and talk about their character and yeah. and you know all that being said and you're going to see some of this here this this efficiency, this this obedience, this loyalty—obviously, all that plays into the why this why this this system was able to thrive so much, because you were being told since you were ten years old, hey, you need to support, you need to support the fatherland, you need to support the Reich, mm. and you, what, you don't go against that. Mm. So, if something doesn't look right, you go, hey, you know what? It's the Reich. We're, we're yeah. pushing on. Yeah. We're, You know, as you like to say, oh, that's what we're doing. What we're doing. So character. Mm-hmm. The Germans fully realize the importance of character as a basis for successful combat leadership. Their teaching on military leadership reminds officers constantly of their responsibility to lead by example and self-discipline. A book called Company Commander, and this is a German book, a book called Company Commander says The company commander is a living example to every man in his organization. To be an officer means to set an example for the men. The officer must be his soldier's incarnation of soldiery, his model. If the German officer is inspired by this mission, the best and deepest qualities of his soul will be awakened. His life's aim will be fulfilled if he succeeds through knowledge, demeanor and conviction in forcing his troops to follow him. This is the manly purpose for which it is worthwhile to stake life in order to win life. In Germany, the road to rank of officer is open to every capable soldier. The destination, destination can be reached only by efficiency in time of war and by actions in face of the enemy. The real authority of an officer is recreated daily by his entire attitude. The ancient proverb applies, earn it in order to possess it. The more his men are convinced that the authority of his rank is deserved through moral worth, the stronger will be the influence of the officer's personality. No one should accept that rank attained by promotion will give to his position authority sufficiently high enough for him to relax his effort in the belief that the objective has been reached. Real authority is not dependent upon shoulder straps, stars, and badges. It depends only on efficiency and worth. Again, you can't argue with that, and this is you know uh, I, I always say if you have to pull rank in an argument, then you're wrong, yeah. and that's what they're saying here. She's not. It's not your badges. It's not your straps. It's not your stars that give you authority. It's who you are. And no, this is a great thing to remember. No one should expect that rank attained by promotion will give his position the authority sufficiently high enough for him to relax his effort. Dude, just because <laughs> he got promoted doesn't mean anything. You gotta work harder when you get promoted. Mm. That's what they tell you in the Navy. They're like, oh cool, you got promoted, cool, now you can work harder.
1: Mm.
0: You have more responsibility. Discipline has always been recognized as essential in German training, and the company officers are given the main responsibility for developing discipline by example, as well as in precept. The book just quoted says on the subject discipline is the basic doctrine of the army the objective of soldierly training must be to make it unshake the unshakable principle of every individual if the officer personifies physical and moral discipline and thereby sets the example for the conduct of his men he will achieve his aim even in difficult situations his authority will be unquestioned if he has convinced his men of his sincerity and leadership he need not most be the most. He need not be the most clever, but he must be the most faultless man of his unit. The German soldier has an instinctive understanding, particularly the simple man, of the moral qualities of his superior. He cheerfully follows a leader whom he respects, whom he could admire. Daily life on the battleground forces the officer to be under the eyes of his mu- men day and night. The necessities. This necessitates a large amount of self-discipline, both on and off duty, which includes not only cheerful and conscientious fulfillment of all duties, but also modesty in requirements for quarters and food, soberness and drink, self-control in sexual matters, cleanliness in speech, and a balanced character." End quote. So what are they looking for? They're looking for that leader to be beyond reproach. Now, I I, I don't like that they say, hey, the the leader doesn't need to be the most clever, but he needs to be the most faultless. And what that sets you up for is trying to cover for yourself. It's trying to act like you you know everything. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. But the rest of it, trying to set an example, on and off duty, right? Not over drinking. Discipline in everything that you do. It's weird they they talk about self-control and sexual matters like why does that come up? That's weird, right?
1: Come on. Yeah, what's that? No fap, right? Yeah, so I mean things? that's
0: just a weird thing like it's it's strange that They throw that in here. What's going on? What what caused that to come out? You know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> well, it's one of those discipline things right where if, if you can uh, What uh, refrain from
0: I, I, I you know, get it, but like why is that in here? This is what this this is what a, a, a Nazi book said yeah. Right self-control and sexual matters, because there's some deviant freaks going on, yeah. and he's trying to tighten it up. You never know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but cleanliness in speech, a balanced character. It goes on to say, the German military bible for company officers is the manual of troop leadership. This book gives their basic tactical and combat doctrine, and it's plenty to say on the moral aspects of leadership. The following are some quotations. Here's some quotations from their books. War is the severest test of the spiritual and physical strength. In war, character outweighs intellect. Many stand forth on the field of battle who in peace would remain unnoticed. This is hype trade shit right here for the (laughs) troops. The officer is a leader and a teacher. Besides his knowledge of men and his sense of justice, he must be distinguished by his superior knowledge and experience, his earnestness, his self-control, and his courage. Again hype the example and personal conduct of officers and non-commissioned officers are of decisive influence on the troops the officer who in the face of the enemy is cold-blooded decisive and courageous inspires his troops onward the officer must likewise find the way into the hearts of his subordinates and gain their trust through an understanding of their feelings and thoughts and through never ceasing care of their needs. Mutual trust is the surest basis of discipline and necessity and danger. So there you go, there's a little dichotomy coming at you. You gotta be the hardest dude, but at the same time you gotta care about your troops. Through never ceasing care of their needs. The Nazi dichotomy of leadership. There. Relations of company officers with enlisted personnel. German directives stressed the desirability of comradeship in units as a moral basis for fighting efficiency. And again, the company officers are reminded of their responsibility. The company commander this is a book again. The company commander says, when the soldier learns by experience that he is being taken care of, and that is the officer as his best comrade who sees to this care, then he is ready. He will follow such a superior through thick and thin and will cheerfully perform the most difficult duties. Hey, Hitler, you might have wanted to read that paragraph when you left your boys at Stalingrad to get surrounded and freaking die. The officer must always set an example by his own conduct and soldierly qualities. He must never think of himself until his men have been cared for. I mean, this is like leadership 101, right? Never think of yourself until your your team is taken care of. Only such an example can convince of the moral right to demand services from others. Only the model life can confirm that right. The officer's own efficiency alone will emphasize the necessity of his orders. Again, you get that weird use of the word efficiency. It's a scary word. I don't like it when Nazis say efficiency. It makes me nervous. If the men copy the example set by the officers, officers and men will be joined. Comradely association and festivities place the officer in a situation basically different from that in times of peace. He must never represent a contrast to the privations and restrictions which the men necessarily take upon themselves, and he must never forget that their need for association and festivity is no less great or justified than his than his own. So that's what that's saying right there is that when you're an officer. And your team has to sleep in the field or they have to go without food or they have to go without water. You need to do the same thing. <clears throat> Burdens and privations, restrictions and negations are shared mutually and equally. Every company commander must be a Spartan. His must, men must feel that privations mean nothing to him. That he rises above such problems and that daily difficulties cannot break his spirit. Again, solid advice. Continuing on, the company officer is advised to be severe when necessary, but without resorting to abuse, to disciplinary punishment as rare, to use disciplinary punishment as rarely as possible, and always in a way that is clearly justified. To take an interest in the personal difficulties of his men, to maintain a cheerful atmosphere under all circumstances, to visit and converse with troops in quarters, and to take the greatest care in choice of supervision of non-commissioned officers. This does not seem like Nazi stuff.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, dang, these guys seem, I'm going to say it, not going to sound correct. But they kind of seem like good guys,
0: <laughs> yeah well that that's that's the scary thing here
1: it's saying like straight up like don't um feel like physical discipline or, or right what yeah. we're saying like,
0: uh disciplinary punishment as rare. use disciplinary punishment as rarely as possible yeah. and and uh always in a way that's clearly justified.
1: maintain a cheerful atmosphere <laughs> as a Nazi, I'm gonna maintain a cheer <laughs> cheerful atmosphere doesn't sound yeah, cool. yeah,
0: yeah, it's. It's interesting. It is interesting. well. If you know, at some point, maybe we'll take the, the the Nazi theories and apply them sort of through a military lens and what it would look like. Because what you end up with is like a tyrannical leader, mm. and you must comply, and everyone needs to shut up. And by the way, we're going to blame when something goes wrong. We're going to blame everybody else, which is kind of a key component to Hitler's attitude. Mm which is the reason that Germany is having these problems isn't Germany's fault, Mm. it's the First World War and the Versailles Treaty and the Jews. So it's not our fault, it's everyone else's fault. Mm -hmm. We're just blaming everyone else. Mm. So if we took that sort of higher headquarters Nazi philosophy and put it it on the military lens, this would look a lot different. Mm. Taking it back to the book, German officers are expected to give attention to the mental outlook of their men and this includes giving them frequent talks on the war the soldier must know what the war is that the war is his personal affair and he must be instructed on its causes meaning and progress it is believed that the soldiers who are informed as to why they are fighting and of their part in the battle will show improved discipline in combat <laughs> you've got to explain the why
1: mm-hmm
0: newspapers, radio, and books are used to assist toward this end. An article in a military review advises the company commander to assemble his unit once a week for discussion. The father of the company should speak on all matters, official and unofficial, current events, politics, which influence the mental attitudes and morale of the men. Troop leadership reminds officers that Quote, the leaders must live with their troops, participating in their dangers, their wants, their joys, their sorrows. Only in this way can they estimate the battle worth and the the requirements of the troops. Man is not responsible for himself alone, but for his comrades. He who can do more, who has greater capacity of accomplishment, must instruct the inexperienced and weaker. From such conduct, the feeling of real comradeship develops, which is just as important between the leaders and the men as between the men themselves. Troops welded together only superficially and not through long training and experience more easily fail under severe strain and under unexpected crisis. Therefore, before the outbreak of war, the development and maintenance of steadfastness and discipline in the troops as well as their training is of decisive importance. So look, that's from their book. The exact same stuff that you'll hear in the US military. Mm. The precepts outlined above have been actually carried out as US observers have reported during the past few years. One report states, German leadership is based on mutual respect between officer and man. We were again impressed with the fact that cooperation between officers and men works both ways. We're going to get into principles of leadership section six the training of German officers of all grades for the present war has been So conducted to emphasize certain basic doctrines while these may seem rather general in character They must be understood in order to appreciate German tactics according to observers German combat tactics reflect the application of these doctrines which are by no means pious phrases of military theorists The very concrete and practical manual on troop leadership is full of references to these principles as later quotations will show the German army has been organized and trained to operate as the task force principle according to the definition of task force is a unit of arms of all arms and services under one commander for the accomplishment of a single specified mission this principle operates at all levels of command when a mission is assigned to a commander he is given the means judge necessary to accomplishment to accomplish it this these means are turned over to him for combined training by which his men are molded into a combat team. The members of this team must know their mission and work together for its accomplishment. Individual units are called upon to merge into the structure of the command team of the combat team. The training phase permits commanders and staff to become thoroughly acquainted with all their officers. In this way they Learn one another's shortcomings and strong points so that many later misunderstandings are prevented in the stress of combat. Personal combinations thus built up often become so strong that they are maintained through successive campaigns. Every effort is made to discourage rivalry between components of a team. For example, through March song. Though March songs are highly regarded and developed, there are no songs about the superiority of infantry to engineers or artillery, etc. There are no intercompany or interbattery athletics to develop useless competitive emotions. Commanders of subordinate units are so imbued with the feeling of cooperation that they go out of their way to assist one another. They cover and move for each other. Considerable attention is given to the acquainting of officers of one branch with the weapons and tactics of another. Even the manual of a specialized branch shows this effort. Anti-aircraft gunner's manual has a section on what these gunners must know about their employment as part of ground forces teams. Including a discussion of divisional tactics. The greatest factor in successful deployment of armed troops is speed in obtaining the initial coordination of arms and in the execution of a coordinated missions by various arms. So they are absolutely pushing for everyone to work together. That's what they're pushing for. We have to cover and move for each other. Their next principle is aggressiveness and initi- initiative. Some people say default aggressive, I've heard. <laughs> The prime characteristic of German tactical doctrine is maintenance of the initiative and avoidance of stabilization. The Germans believe absolutely that if a trained commander prepares and executes aggressive moves, even with even average ability and reasonable speed, the enemy will be kept too busy meeting them to carry out a successful offensive measures. A German officer phrase the concept in a way that can be understood by troops. Our men are taught that their own safety depends upon their getting to the enemy's rear and not staying in front of him. This is fundamental of our training. These guys are looking to flank all day long. Aggressive tactics require the use of initiative by combat leaders down to the platoon commanders and non-commissioned officers. Development of this capacity for taking the initiative is stressed at all points in military training, whether theoretical or practical. No illusion surviving the First World War is more dangerous than the notion that German leaders, especially of small units, are bound by rigid and mechanical regulations and can move only in accordance with detailed prearranged plans. So again, that's what they started this war off. This is 1942. By the end, Hitler was dictating. Mm-hmm. They lost this. In actual fact, German leaders of small units have shown great skill in this war, uh, in adapting their tactics and flexi- flexibility to meet new situations. They have been trained to do this. The handbook on the German squad in combat illustrates the doc- the, this doctrine. Quote, in the execution of battle missions, one should be most careful to avoid the idea that only one solution can be be the right one. Only success in an actual case could prove that a given solution was the right one. A model solution must not be drilled into the soldiers. They, and particularly the squad leader, should be trained to be flexible and should learn to be equal on any occasion. So this is kind of the antithesis of what you think of a Nazi, right? Mm -hmm. Just calling out for flexibility and for free thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, free thought is the antithesis of Nazi attitude. Nazi Mm -hmm. attitudes, we're all gonna think the same thing. That's why we're gonna start indoctrinating you when you're 10 years old. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: No, we want you to have free thought. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, this kind of thing, this is one of the things that leads America to have that open mind on the battlefield, to see what we can adjust, to figure out what we need to change, and start winning. Mm. German regulations place due value on getting as much information as possible about the enemy as a prerequisite for action, but regulations also prevent this from becoming a requirement that cripples action. This is the dichotomy of leadership. Hey, look, you gotta get good information, but don't let it cripple you and wait for it. Mm. Quote, obscurity of the situation is the rule. Seldom will one have exact information of the enemy. Clarification of hostile situation is, is, is a self-evident demand. However, to wait intense situations for information is seldom a token of strong leadership, but often one of weakness. You so you gotta take action. You're, you gotta be aggressive. That's gotta be your default mode. So the officer is taught to attack in order to clear up the situation. That's a great quote. You want to know what's going on? Attack. you figured it out. Mm. And gain a basis for an estimate of further action. Battle itself proves the most reliable means of estimating the enemy. Oh, that's a good one. I don't recommend that in a bar fight. <laughs> Let's see how tough this guy is. All right. Omission and delay are regarded as greater crimes than the choice of the wrong method of action. In training exercises, the choice of a tactical method is subject to full criticism by reviewing officers, but no man is reprimanded because he tried to do something and failed. They want you to do something. Mm -hmm.
1: Even that's a big one. I mean, kind of, it wouldn't seem that way, but it seems like that's a very surprising one right there.
0: They want you to take action. That's that's the crazy thing about this. This is what we don't think.
1: The specific fact that, like, you'll be you'll be less reprimanded if you do the wrong thing. Yeah. Like you think, oh, you know, okay, so, you know, like the expression, right? Don't be a Nazi about it, like grammar Nazi <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, soup Nazi or, yeah. I don't, you know, like that just as a whatever, that kind of expression, it kind of says the opposite of that. Right. Where it's like you better do it correctly yep. or almost feels like they're saying do it correctly or don't do it at all almost kind of thing. So what yeah. it feels like. Nonetheless, it does feel like. Do not make a mistake. Yeah, or die. Kind of a thing. Kind of a feeling.
0: That's kind of funny. Like if you were to like the grammar Nazi one. Yeah. Think about if you were legitimately just paranoid about making a mistake and having a, the grammar Nazi come at you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, what are you going to do? You're not going to write it. Yeah.
1: So you can do what? Yeah,
0: you're just going to yeah. sit there. Yeah. You're not going to put the word out. So you got to be like, hey, grammar Nazi, no. Yeah. Get, you can say, hey, you might want to make adjustment here, but good try. That's what they're saying. That's,
1: that's being a grammar now, too, yeah. right there. That's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: All right. Here's some quotations from the Troop Leadership Manual. The teaching of the conduct of war cannot be concentrated ex- exhaustively in regulations. The principles so enun- enunciated must be employed dependent upon their situation. It's the same thing. Dude, it's not about regulations. You've got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. The emptiness of the battlefield depend, demands independent thinking and acting of fighters who, considering each situation, are dominated by determination to act boldly and decisively and to arrive at success. We just want you to go. Figure it out. We don't care how you do it. The first demand in war is decisive action. Everyone the highest commander and the most junior soldier must be aware that omissions and neglect incriminate him more severely than mistake and choice of means. Great success presume boldness and daring preceded by good judgment. They're just telling us these troops over and over again, make something happen. We never have at our disposal all the desired forces for the decisive action. He who will be secure everywhere or who fixes forces in secondary tasks acts contrary to the fundamental. Yeah, oh, I just need a few more troops to go. No, go. Mm. Hold on, we're going to hold we got in set security. No, go. Hold on, I need to figure out what the enemy's doing. No, go. The weaker the force through speed, mobility, great march, accomplishment, surprise and deception, the utilization of darkness and terrain to the fullest can be stronger at the decisive area. Time and space must be correctly estimated, Favorably situations, favorable situations quickly recognized and decisively exploited. Every advantage over the enemy increases our own freedom of action. The attack is launched in order to defeat the enemy. The attacker has the initiative. Superiority of leadership and of troops shows to the best advantage in the attack. Success does not always come to the superiority of numbers. A German officer commenting on the clearly, commenting early, on the early campaigns of the war recognized the capacity of very young officers to meet these standards of leadership so this is pretty impressive before the campaign in the west we underestimated the wonderful leadership of our 22 year old company commanders they acted without hesitation where older men would have paused for long consideration and heavy artillery reinforcements time and time again we found these young commanders calling for a few 88 millimeter anti-aircraft guns a handful of anti-tank guns and a platoon pi- a platoon of pioneers to assist them in taking a famous fortress and then actually capturing it with no delay and relatively few losses. The enthusiastic leadership of youth was one of the great features of our advance west. So they did the they actually this is like one of those things where you program the robot mm. and then it like does even better than you thought it was going to do. They told <laughs> sure. these guys advance, you know, fight, go, be aggressive and that's what they did and it worked mm-hmm. and they were surprised by it.
1: Mm.
0: <sighs> Next section is orders and communications. Aggressiveness cannot serve as the sole principle of tactics without leading to disaster. So there's the dichotomy. We want you to be aggressive, but if you're just being aggressive, it can be a disaster. German training supplements that principle with careful attention to all measures which provide that action taken shall be considered and intelligent. These measures include orders, clear orders, and an efficient system of communications. Simple, clear, and concise orders. That's what this goes into. (laughs) Uh, Orders should be clear and direct. Should confine themselves to the main lines of a mission assigned to the lower command, giving the lower command latitude of choice of the means to execute the mission. So here's what you got to do. We don't care how you do it. The Germans believe that one of the signs of deterioration in their armies toward the end of the First World War was the growing verbosity and ambiguity of orders. They propose to avoid these mistakes by constantly drilling conciseness and clarity. Isn't it interesting? As I'm talking to you more, it's becoming more ambiguous. Mm. That's what they're saying. Yeah. We started falling apart at the end of World War One. Why? The more we talked, the less people understood what was happening. That's a that's a freaking very interesting, very interesting dichotomy. This is an interesting statement here. Um, When we start talking about the way these guys are sort of living their lives. No German officer begins the day without a mission. If the mission has not been received, received from higher authority, he gives himself a mission for the day and one which is definitely not a mere compliance with a printed schedule. The printed schedule is nothing but a time allotment or control. (coughs) He approaches, this is the German officer, approaches each day's task as he would a battle in order that eventually he will approach battle as he would a day's task. (coughs) Just kind of living the life.
1: Uh,
0: (coughs) Yeah. The manual of troop leadership says, on this subject of orders, the order puts the decision into effect. Clear orders are essential for the frictionless cooperation of all commanders. For the higher commander, the written order provides the foundation for leadership. It is communicated to the lower units printed in carbon copy, typewritten or written by hand or by technical communication means, frequently as dictated over the telephone. In every instance, the most sure and suitable method of transmission is to be chosen. The more pressing the situation, the shorter the order. This is a mistake everybody makes. What's what's challenging about that is in order for me to give you an order in a pressing situation, I have to be able to look at the situation, simplify it, and then distill it the, the order down into something that's like, hey, we need to move north now. And there's a lot of other things going on what we need to do is we need to move north now and get this terrain features solidified. Boom, that's it, go. That's one of the most challenging things that leaders, one of the most challenging things for leaders to do is to look at complex situation and simplify them and then verbalize what needs to happen.
1: Mm.
0: That's something you can practice. That's something you should think about all the time. Mm. That's something when you when you are going to talk to your team you should write down what you're going to say and say it in as few words as possible. That's one thing I kind of liked about Twitter back back in the day when I was on Twitter a lot. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, right it was yeah. fun. You had to like, you had to like, you had 140 characters yeah. and then they made it easy, gave you 280 characters. Yeah. But back in the day, 140 characters, you had that, that's what you're gonna do. Yeah. Good became, practice became ambiguous after a while. Yeah, it did.
1: You know, there's a that all it always <clears throat> reminds me of the I think it's Leif, maybe yeah yeah Leif tells the story of uh, BTF Tony or mm-hmm. will go through his his orders or whatever he's yeah. he's telling everybody and then BTF Tony will be like hey I'm gonna remember yeah. three of those things yeah. which of them do you want them to be yeah
0: classic BTF <laughs> Tony
1: that, I mean. <laughs> That would be so fun to say in a real situation. I don't know how many people I could pull that off with without them getting kind of mad at me. But if you pull it off, that'd be sweet.
0: Yeah. Well, you can't get mad at BTF Tony for a bunch of reasons. Number no one, cause he's awesome. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Number two, because he's right. Yeah, you know, and no, he's man. telling you the truth, and yeah. you got to be happy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with important orders, it is often advisable to use two or more means of transmission. Well, that makes sense. It is easy to underestimate the time required to get an order through. Oh, that's an important one. I told those guys yesterday. Oh, they didn't get the word yet. Uh, Big shocker. Too many orders, especially in battle, during which communication means may miscarry, produce the danger of an impairing independence of action of lower commanders. So if I'm giving you orders all the time, eventually you're just waiting for orders. That's just, I'm centralizing command and I'm micromanaging you and it's gonna be a problem. An order shall contain all that is necessary for the lower commander to know in order for him to execute independently his task, it should contain no more. And then they got a they got a chunk in here about communications, but they're starting to talk about like their technical communications, so no factor here. As contact is gained with the enemy, it is better that the division commander be where he can observe. Therefore, he belongs early on the field of battle and in the decisive area. His location must be easily found, easily reached. In attack, the division command post should be located as far forward as possible, Stand by for dichotomy, yet So selected that the communication net to the side and rear is effectively shielded from hostile fire. To be desired are observation of the battlefield, either from the command post or a nearby observation post, and the possibility of establishing an airplane landing field nearby. So there's a dichotomy, the Nazi dichotomy. I've said that twice now, I'm a little scared. (laughs) I don't wanna make that a thing. (laughs) (coughs) Knowledge of terrain. The usual attention is paid in German training to correct use of maps as a basis for utilizing terrain and maneuver. But the German doctrine is that maps should be so thoroughly studied that they can be largely dispensed with during maneuvers. An observer who commented on the small use of maps during tank exercises was told that the officer who must constantly refer to a map for orientation purposes is considered poorly trained. The map once studied should be carried in the mind rather than in the hand. That's, when you get in the military, that's sort of like, from a leadership perspective, understanding terrain is like blue belt level. Like, and you know the difference between someone that doesn't train in a blue belt, Mm -hmm. is massive. Yeah, That's, when you start to look at terrain and understand terrain, that's like when you get your blue belt, you're like, okay, I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand how I can utilize the terrain that we're facing to our advantage.
1: Yeah, and what you're saying just the the method to do it, like the skill of it versus no skill.
0: And and even when you train, when we train as SEALs, like when we first go out and do immediate action drills, so we practice getting in gunfights and breaking contact with the enemy or assaulting the enemy, the first thing we do is we do it on a big flat open field. It's desert, but it's a big flat piece of sand. There's no terrain, it's just flat. Mm -hmm. And you're just going through the mechanics. Mm. And then as you get better, you start incorporating little pieces of terrain and then eventually you're using like wild terrain features. Next section is called Surprise. During the training phase, the importance of the principle of surprise in combat is constantly featured. According to German doctrine, surprise depends on the use of secrecy, deception, and speed. Secrecy depends on maintaining the strictest discipline among troops. According to German military authorities, the use of deception to achieve surprise is comparatively unexploited. Speed of execution of any maneuver is is essential for achieving surprise. This principle is extended to artillery practice and observer notes that as much importance is now put on the speed of opening fire as on accuracy and as the attainment of heavy volume of fire. So I'm gonna surprise some people. Again, this is speed, surprise, and violence of action. That's what you learn day two Mm -hmm. at the SEAL team. Mm. Section seven, training methods subsection 20 physical conditioning and marching (laughs) the importance of physical condition is fully recognized in German training doctrine one of the services of the Hitler Youth with its emphasis on sports and the labor service is to furnish the army with recruits who are fully conditioned and toughened the training period is thereby shortened and made more effective A U.S. observer saw an infantry battalion on maneuvers in January 1940. With the temperature at 20 degrees, the troops lay patiently in four inches of snow, waiting their orders for over an hour. Many men had no gloves. This difficult period seemed to have no effect on their performance later. The hardening. other observers of a german division in a field exercises before the outbreak of war reported that fitness and endurance were made a fetish by both officers and men the training purposes officers oh sorry for training purposes officers often went 24 hours without food Troops carried heavy loads of mortars, machine guns, and other equipment as far as 1,200 yards in fast rushes of 50 yards. Just before the exercises, one engineer battalion had marched 85 miles through the mountains in three days. Good physical condition has been a basis for the notable march achievement of the German infantry. Despite all the mechanization of modern armies, German doctrine foresaw the possibility that motorized personnel might lose their equipment and have to move rapidly on foot. In some cases, German troops under the prolonged strain of combat operations have covered 30 to 40 miles a day for several days and German sources claim a march of 44 miles in 24 hours during the Polish campaign. Reserve formations of older men are, hard, are held to nearly the same high standards. Despite these achievements, demand is made for even greater, greater attention to marching. An article in a German military review from 1940 states, peacetime marching practice, though good, was not strenuous enough to prepare men for wartime marching conditions. In peacetime marching, too much consideration is given to the comfort and convenience of the troops. Despicable tone added by me (laughs) Yeah, so you had these American observers over there in 1940 actually no, my grandfather was in the army and Mm. he was over in Nazi Germany in 1939 Mm. And he was he was talking to Nazi I have I have his passport and he actually he was an engineer and he ended up befriending one of the Nazi German or Nazi army engineers that worked on weapon systems. Mm. And he, he became friends with them and got a bunch of blueprints of their weapon systems and stole them and brought them back to America and oh. turned them over. Damn. He did a little espionage. <laughs> but I have, uh, I had his passport. I don't know where it is right now. I think my, my dad might have it. But he, his passport has like all the. The Nazi swastika stamps in it and stuff, and when oh, he was damn. over there, and you know, my grandfather spoke uh, Dutch, mm. and so he he met someone that they could he could communicate with.
1: Huh, like, oh, he spoke. To, when did you? Because obviously he was an American citizen. Wait, do you know when your family moved?
0: Yeah, that side of the family came here on the boat in like 1900 or something like that. Mm. It's nuts. Yep.
1: It's crazy thinking about those times. Like those, those were actual, real times. You know, like before you were born. Mm. You know, it feels like in your brain, it's almost like oh, that's just. It's almost like a movie. You know, like <laughs> before you were born is more like just a movie and all this stuff. But it was like an actual time where people were actually living, yeah. actually going through their day to day life. Yeah,
0: and you actually.
1: <clears throat> and you were <laughs> like, mm, you did not exist. No, it's a hard one to contemplate sometimes. Uh,
0: I will, I regret to inform you that the world has been here before you were here, Echo Charles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the world was not created the moment I was born.
0: Oh, all right, all right, cool. Just saying. Uh emphasis on field exercises even the training at the German general staff avoids abstract theory in tactics and strategy the student is thoroughly grounded in fundamental principles of tactics but he is taught to apply them concrete by case study method in which a specific situation must be stated and solved tactical training at the school is given almost entirely by means of free maneuvers on the map and on the ground no fixed divisional organization is used in this training and the combination of arms in the division is continually varied the exercises are so conducted that the officer-student as commander and his staff oppose either the instructor or another student group. The student is given very little information of the enemy positions and is required to make immediate decisions, put into verbal orders. Movement is controlled by factors of time, space, terrain, firepower, and mobility, and by no other control features. Coordination of effort is assured by staff action during movement, rather than by attempting elaborate plans in advance. Field work is done. Is field work is given central emphasis in the program. Of training for troops. Small units carry out tactical problems day in, day out, tactical exercises, fill in half the time of training. This is just squared away. And you can have a you can do you can do such awesome role. And we've we're doing a bunch of stuff at Echelon Front. we got the FTX going, obviously, where this is what you're doing. Mm. You're gonna get you're gonna get like a little bit of information. You got a timeline that you gotta meet. You got enemy moving, you got friendly forces, you got all this stuff going on. Mm. And that's why we do it. So you can learn how to lead. We're doing something now we call the the leadership lab where it's not a combat scenario. It's a biz. It's business scenarios. Oh, that's cool. So you're going in, and you've got a staff that you've got to work with, and you've got things that are happening at your company.
1: Who plays the staff? Other people in the company or role players?
0: Role players. Mm-hmm. Role players play the staff. It's okay. it's pretty awesome. Like, oh, hey, we've got hey hey, listen, boss, or listen, uh, whatever, plant plant manager hey plant manager you got a complaint one of your one of your employees is flying off the handle right now who says that they're getting treated unfairly they're coming to your office right now they'll be here in 3 minutes <laughs> <laughs> oh by the way as soon as that's over you you, you there's a there's a reporter here you you got to do a small press conference there's a group of reporters here they want to know about this product that you made that's made a bunch of kids sick in the local neighborhood so you could get ready for that press conference yeah. and then you go into the press conference, guess what, guess what happens? You could ask them a bunch of questions by role players. <laughs> Do you? Are you saying that your profit is more important than the safety of the children? You know, like all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So good.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: Echelonfront.com leadership lab, check it out. You wanna put your key executives through some awesome training where they learn these these types of leadership skills, that's it. fast forward a little bit the concept of wartime training stated was stated in a German training directive in 1941 in spite of greater difficulties than in time of peace training must be conducted as thoroughly and methodically as possible it is only by inspiring a desire for intellectual cooperation and by constantly keeping it alive among the lower ranks that the correct tactical conceptions can be successfully inculcated in the ranks down to the most humble non-commissioned officer Realism, the realism of training. No element of training doctrine is given more stress than the demand for a maximum effect of realism. Klauswitz, the guide of so much mo- modern military theory, stated the principle very exactly at a period when the methods and techniques of warfare put less strain than they do now on the troops entering battle for the first time. That's an interesting statement. Like, hey, back in the day is nothing compared to, you're going into combat in 1942, Mm. and there's machine guns and, you know, Messerschmitt's overhead strafing your area, and Mm. people are just getting blown up. Like, this is a totally different ballgame. But this is a good way of putting it from Clausewitz. No general can supply his army with war experience. And the substitute of peacetime drills is a weak one when compared with the actual experience in war. It is much more important that peacetime drills be so arranged that a part of the causes for friction occur and that the judgment, the wisdom, the prudence, and the decision of the individual leaders are tested than is believed by those who do not know from this experience. So you got to go, if you haven't been to war, you got to go even harder than you think. It is of utmost importance that the soldier of high or low grade, no matter what position he may occupy, should experience those difficulties which perplex and surprise him in actual war. If they have happened to him, but once before, he's already somewhat familiar with them. This even applies to physical strains. They must be practiced, not so much that nature, but that the brain becomes accustomed. This is so absolutely critical, and you know, I was so lucky to have been where I was, In and be able to run training in the SEAL teams, because we just were able to execute on this. We were just absolutely able to execute on this, hundred percent, and give super hard training, stressful training, decisions that needed to be made under time, under stress, under pressure, with mayhem going on, communication breaking down. Like we were able to do this over and over again. Mm. If you were a platoon commander, you were going to do this twelve times. In in twelve nights or or in three nights or four nights, you're going to be put in these stressful situations. You would start to get used to it, and your troops get used to it. This is why law enforcement training needs to step it up. Yeah, needs to step it up about a thousand percent, so that people get used to these scenarios from training. The Germans have gone to great trouble and expense to carry out this principle in training. For one thing, troops in training exercises are provided with large amounts of practice ammunition of all sorts, including grenades, usually with reduced charges, but nevertheless requiring careful handling and involving some risk. Machine gun fire ball ammunition over the heads of attacking troops with very small safety margin, and trench mortars support the infantry within 50 yards of its objective. A German officer of engineers told an observer that we have considerable losses in wartime training, but this is unavoidable in familiarizing the men in handling of explosives and becoming an expert. The men know that losses in training would mean fewer losses in battle. In field exercise, the enemy is always represented by actual soldiers who advance and retreat, delay flyer, fire blanks, and otherwise conduct themselves as the enemy should. Barbed wire, shell holes, trenches, artillery emplacements, and all the other features of actual combat are introduced as far as possible in every exercise.
1: Remember when you uh, guys for training got the laser tag system, whatever it's called? Um, When you shot it, was it... What did the gunfire? Was it like? <clears throat> it was a blank. Like,
0: oh, so it was. Like, so it sounded real. So, well, blanks don't sound as real I mean, as real yeah. guns, but yes, it went bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- then it shot the laser at the same time.
1: What's the difference between the sound? I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a blank.
0: There's a quieter. Really? It's a, it's 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 considerably quieter. Although the machine gun blanks are pretty freaking loud. Yeah. But like a an M4 or M16 type blank is yeah. pretty weak, For real. Like, like w- you probably don't need air pro. Oh, you for oh, okay. I mean it's loud, it's like but it's not it's right? not crazy, yeah.
1: Yeah, you ever watch a uh, Snatch? <clears throat> that movie?
0: Yeah, I don't remember too much about it.
1: Guy Ritchie. Anyway, they they had these uh, replica. They were going to do some robbery. Oh yeah, the this heist. is the
0: this is the 50 cal that says replica on it, right? The Desert Eagle 50 cal that says replica <laughs> no, no, on it. No, no, no. Isn't oh. that in that movie though? Yes, but okay. they're
1: close. That's not what ha- what happened. Was actually yes. So, so it was like the that scene mm. or the part of that scene. Anyway, so they these guys, these three thugs go and they get these guns that are replica guns. He's like, I even got extra loud blanks. <laughs> so that actually now kind of makes a little bit more sense. It's like, okay, there's extra loud blanks? Well, yeah, if the if regular blanks are more quiet, yeah. then that makes sense. But then even though they were making jokes, they're like, why? In case we got to deafen them to death? Or whatever yeah. he, he said, or whatever. <laughs> no, so the Desert Eagle wasn't the replica. The Desert Eagle was real. Oh. they had the replicas. So they came in. They did. I don't know. They did whatever they did. Then they didn't. Came one in, of
0: them say replica on it though.
1: All their guns, all the oh. thugs' guns. So they were pointing it at Vinnie Blue or Vinny's his real name. Uh, Bullet Tooth Tony. Uh huh. Who's this big? Played by Vinny. I forget his last name. Um, and he's just cruising there having a beer, and they were like. You know, they try to intimidate him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Vinny goes into this, or Bullet Tooth goes into this kind of cool speech. And then at the end of the speech, it says, And the fact that you have replica written down the side of your guns. And it kind of zooms. in. you know, Guy Ritchie yeah. has this good cinematic style, shows the replica words. Yeah. And then it goes, And the fact that I have Desert Eagle. And he pulls it out, written on mine. And then he goes back into his speech or whatever. Yeah. It was just a super good scene. But the Desert Eagle was real. They had
0: replicas. Okay. know what i You know, this guy's talking about barbed wire, shell holes, trenches, artillery emplacements, like all the stuff to make it real. We had Hollywood set designers come down and square away our training sites. Mm-hmm. And it was freaking awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And then... I, like we do what the moose would do, which is like set tires on fire in the middle of the streets. And mm-hmm. you come down there, your night vision's getting all messed up from that. There's graffiti on the walls. There's speakers that are playing the call to prayer. It would be it would be realistic, man.
1: Yeah. And that's so good, too, because when you first started saying that, I was like, oh, wait, you got Hollywood. set. I mean, that's kind of going. Is it that deep, bro? Like, did you. Yes, and then but is. then I thought about it. So when I first started playing football, I was 11 years old, Pop Warner football. And, you know, in, in a regular football practice, especially back then, it might be different now. But back then is, you know, you warm up, you do some exercises, push-ups and stuff. You do like these kind of, they're called grass drills, but they're like essentially coordination drills, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, and then you do some technique stuff and then you do a scrimmage pretty much every day with your pads on too. So it's, so it's essentially, it's essentially full contact mm-hmm. scrimmages, right. So... But the scrimmage would have, and this is pretty, this is pretty standard, where you have like kind of the starting team and the secondary team, and then you have everyone else who's not on uh, first or second string plays the defense, right? But they they show the defense that the team that we're going to play that week, what defense they play. Got it. So, and then if the player, and here's what our coaches would do: if there was a star player somewhere. Like maybe the defensive end or something like that was a star player, or the safety, or the linebacker was was kind of the star player. Especially when you're young, it kind of it stands out more. Um, they would get like one of our really good players to play that guy, and if he did something unique, they would make that guy do that unique thing. So they try to mm. pr- try to make it realistic, like and replicate it, right? So I remember them. Th- I remember thinking like, all right, I mean, you know, we run plays, but. I didn't realize how much of a difference it is from running plays against a generic defense versus running plays against a very specific defense. Mm -hmm. So, and and, you know, I'm 11 years old, so uh, it's not dawning on me, right? So I'm like, whatever, though. We'll practice or whatever. And from week to week, it would be different. You could feel the difference with who we're playing, and they'd all be the same guys, guys on our team, right, in practice. But rewind back to that first game and the first time you play and you see the exact same thing as we were practicing, it's different jerseys, which is weird, mm-hmm. but even that little detail, it's kind of like, whoa, that kind of stood out. You could see the little differences, like, oh, I've been used to this practice so much, you know, over these weeks or whatever. The littlest difference stands out. So the more accurate you can make it, the better, so you don't get distracted by all these little differences, mm-hmm. right? So then I thought back to your, you know, scenario where you're hiring um, Set designers and all Mm -hmm. that, and you're like talking about burning tires and doing all this little stuff. That I'm like, who cares if there's a burning tire or not? You know, like, bro, you're here to do a mission. The burning tire is not going to distract you. The thing is, it wouldn't be surprising to me, given what I already know, everything would be distraction if you haven't Mm -hmm. seen it before. The burning tire, it's kind of like that's kind of a big distraction, actually, yeah. when you think
0: about it, or it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So How, how's it affecting oh, your night vision? What are you going to do? Yeah. Like it's a little thing, but it makes a big difference.
1: That's so true. So, so true. Even like, okay, so like football there. I remember, the, so this guy, his name is Kelly. He's kind of a you know, kids are bigger. Yeah. So they'd replicate him in practice. They'd put my brother or something, somebody there, right? Um Someone who's just like a like a big a good athlete for practice, but this guy Kelly, he wasn't just a good athlete; he was kind of a mean person. Mm-hmm. So it was like you could tell the difference between an athlete and being a mean person, mm-hmm. the difference between that, you know. And it was like a thing. It was like, man, they should have told my brother or whoever else was pra- just to be mean or something yeah. like that. That would have
0: helped. <laughs> just that little detail would have helped. They were you a little know? surprised. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, I always tell people like I'm doing my 1st jujitsu tournament. What should I be ready for and I'm like oh, Yeah, be ready for your opponent to go crazier than anything you've seen in your jiu-jitsu Academy Yeah, that's what's gonna happen. Yeah might not be the first match might be the same yeah. But like it's almost guaranteed and probably is gonna be your first match person's yeah. gonna get nuts And yeah, you see, need to be well, ready for that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and actually there's ways to get ready for that Even though it does get a little bit more just like yeah. football extra just, nuts. like anything It gets dangerous after a while if you start practicing yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, hard can, with yeah, it, you know, Yeah. yeah you can't but to do like an in-house tournament yeah, or like or or a replicated tournament, yep. like they that we did it a few times yep. where it's like, oh, everyone like make yep. a big circle and we're hype. gonna do a thing. Points matter, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. it, it is. Helps.
0: Start it helps. Tr- start tracking points. That's the thing, yep.
1: right? And people watching and yelling and cheering, yeah. and there being a ref counting your points. It's kind of like when things matter a little bit more. It's like right. Even it's all just psychological, but it helps, man. isn't everything? <laughs> it is.
0: Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Um, the handbook on squad combat says one should use real troops as much as possible to represent the enemy. The soldiers will much less will be much less likely to make mistakes in wartime if they see during the training instead of a dummy a real and active enemy. This is you know you talked about using that laser tag system, mm-hmm. and when we started using ammunition and paintball, it was just totally different. Mm. I mean, imagine that. That paper target doesn't shoot back, it doesn't move. That's yeah. the main concerns of the enemy. They're gonna shoot back and they're gonna move.
1: Yeah.
0: A paper target doesn't shoot back, and doesn't move. Yeah. So that training is, even though live fire training, you have to do it and you need to do it to a point where it's second nature, live fire against targets. Yeah. But the real stressors should come when you start doing force on force training.
1: Yeah, yeah That. that's a, just sh- the person or the enemy, whatever, shooting back, just that, not the moving thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what if there was stationary targets that actually shot back? Just that alone, huge deal. Yeah, on the flip side, just them moving around versus yeah. not moving, huge deal, totally. And then now you got now you're missing in live fire training. Uh, and this is obviously my little theory, I don't sit in the scenario, but those two put together, yeah, Right? isn't that kind of night and day? It's a whole different it's training, a whole different scenario. training scenario, yeah. And
0: we adjusted our tactics when we figured that out. Yeah. Because our, our tactics had evolved from Vietnam, they had evolved to a point where they weren't realistic anymore. Mm-hmm. Because we spent all these, we spent 20 years shooting at paper targets that weren't moving. And so we developed tactics to do it very quickly, mm-hmm. but it was against inanimate objects. The minute we started getting paintball and some into the game you start realizing, oh, that's not going to work. We can't all stand in a big group like this. Yeah. We need to take this into consideration. We need to take that into consideration. All oh, so things we got a lot better when we started doing force on force training. It's the same thing to be said for jujitsu and UFC, yeah. Yeah. right? When you just when I used to walk up to you and throw like a whatever punch and you would fall down, like I threw a simulated punch and you simulated falling down and I simulated broke your, you know, your heart. With a, with a two finger punch or whatever. you know what I mean? It's called the dim arc, yeah, yeah, with yeah. a dim mock. Then it's like, it seemed to work good. Like, yeah, oh, it was pretty yeah. awesome. Yep. But then the minute I got into a fight with some drunk wrestler and got, <laughs> and got caught a beat down, I'm like, this doesn't work. And what Jiu Jitsu is, Jiu Jitsu is like, oh, you're training to, you're training as hard as you can to put the person into submission hold that then they don't die mm. because they tap. Well, it's the same thing. I shoot you with paintball in the neck or the thighs, which is where I'm aiming, because <laughs> the it's the worst. <laughs> okay. yeah, all right. So when I shoot you there, you don't die, but you learn a lesson. So
1: how, how different is it? You ever played a regular paintball? Yes. Just regular? Okay, so simunition, that's the paintball yep. that you guys have. Yep. What, what's the difference? Is there any difference What's is first simulation shields?
0: Simuni- simunition, you shoot from your real weapon.
1: Yeah, and it, and it goes bang. It
0: goes, it goes bang, not loud. You know, it's not, it's just a little, Oh, okay. It's a little tiny bang. Uh, you have to change your magazine. It's not like we have 400 paintballs in a freaking hopper on top of your gun. And you're just no, laying yeah. waste, right? <laughs> like, you have to change yeah, but, magazine. You're, they kind of simulation does jam a little bit, oh, uh, which is a bummer.
1: What's the um? What do? You, what would you call it? The propellant or whatever Like how does it?
0: It's an explosion. Powder? Yeah. Oh. Okay. It's like Damn. a little explosion. Oh. Right. And you. so, and it comes out. I would. I don't know if it comes out like faster, it seems to, I think it's a little bit faster and I think it hits a little bit harder Then it's a smaller projectile, so it hurts a little bit more, oh, okay. but it, but it is, it has paint in it and yeah. you get, you know, you get a little paint on you and it's very effective. It's uh, the thing, the reason that we also use the laser tag system is because the paint ball and the simulation is only good for, you know, 30, 40 yards.
1: Uh, oh, it, oh, yeah, so it's yeah,
0: good in so. the house, it's good in the hallway, it's good in a CQC environment, yeah. but out in the field, yeah. it's no good, it doesn't work good. Huh. You can use a little bit, like even in a mountain environment, you need to use regular paintball guns mm. eventually so that you can get some distance, you can put down cover fire yeah, like yeah, across yeah. the street. But even that's not very, that's not very accurate. Yeah. Um, but then but then the lasers they're good at like three four or five hundred yards well maybe 300 yards but but that's that's legit like yeah. you can get some legit training
1: and the, do the laser and this is just my predicting or estimating kind of a, imagining so the, when you're with the lasers don't you lose an element of stress a little bit because there's nothing actually coming yep. in and hitting
0: you yep and what what was funny was so we use those in the desert yeah. and if you got yeah. shot, you are gonna get put down. Mm -hmm. And if you got put down, someone's gonna have to carry you out. And if you're getting carried out, you're gonna get dropped, you're gonna get (laughs) Like it sucked (laughs) for everyone. And so when it would actually, when you would watch guys going through like an urban scenario, getting shot with paintball, they would just charge through it. Like they didn't care. Like Mm -hmm. in the instructors, if they're gonna put you down, they put you down. Mm -hmm. But when, you on the laser tag system, it had a near miss little, you had a speaker on your shoulder. Oh. So when you would get shot at it, would go, you know, it would make oh. a little noise and you knew that you were getting shot at. Oh, that's cool. And when you would watch guys as those near misses started coming, they would dive for cover <laughs> like they were getting shot at for real. I, I'm not kidding, they would dive oh, yeah. like they were getting shot at for real because they, if they got shot, Everything was gonna go to shit. They were yeah, gonna get yeah. bogged down other people were going get shot They were gonna have to get carried out Which is a total gut check yeah. and and it would happen a lot. Yeah. but you'd see those guys It was very effective training. Yeah, but Sometimes you know when you're just doing a laser tag with no punishment whatsoever yeah. You can definitely get a little bit cocky mm. with paintball You don't really get too cocky because it hurts and yeah. you don't want to get you know You'll you'll move from cover to cover Yeah, because you don't want to get lit up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. There's all those little details that you don't really think about that play such a big role in the whole scenario. Oh, yeah.
0: The guys diving for cover in we using the laser system was that's when you knew like, oh, this is really effective. Yeah. yeah. So and and you could also put down suppressive fire because if you were, you know, over in a building, I could just shoot at the building. And as soon as you started maneuvering out so you could shoot back, you'd like get near misses and you'd hide. Oh yeah. So that means I could, you know, I could put down cover fire while my buddy moved. Yeah. Yeah, And it was totally effective.
1: That speaker kind of makes a big difference. I didn't really think about it where, especially if you have that association, like, oh, if I get put down, this major consequences. It sucks. Because without the speaker, because I'm not thinking speaker does all that, which obviously it's more advanced than I thought. So the, if you're just like, Oh, you only get the indicator that you got shot, right? Which is kinda like the regular laser tag that, yeah, that I yeah, played yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. young. Yeah. You don't they don't know near misses, nothing like that. So you think, oh yeah, cover fire won't work that good because Yeah part of what basically the whole concept of cover fire is yeah. you being scared of those bullets exactly. coming, even though they don't hit you. But then yeah, if you got that speaker buzzing in you yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh, but then but laser doesn't like hit the building nope. doesn't because a bullet hitting the building is like kind of a big yep. thing right
0: that'll get your head down yeah 100
1: <laughs> <laughs> so cover fire in a way potentially is way more effective in real fire for yes. all because it's everything yes you know I mean?
0: yes and that was one thing that was even with even with the laser tag you'd still see guys do like stuff where you're like hey would you have really done that yeah because you got shot 19 times or whatever <laughs> you know and so it was a little hard to simulate the fear of death yeah uh-huh. but I'll tell you what getting getting buddy carried or having to buddy carry someone out for six kilometers in the desert on on night vision it sucked yeah. Yeah, and guys true. hated it and so they would do everything they could to stay alive and accomplish the mission
1: yeah that feels like a solid little like proxy yeah you know, for
0: uh, it, it was a solid little proxy. <laughs> I mean, obviously you can't shoot the guys and kill them, right. but man, it's, mm. you don't want to hump someone out in the desert. It's no. freaking terrible.
1: Oh, especially someone like you. Yeah.
0: And in, and sometimes guys would, you know, a, a, a task unit would have 12 down men. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be awful. <laughs> like if they did, if they didn't, if the leadership wasn't making good decisions and they weren't covered and moving, and things weren't you know, simple and clear and they didn't prioritize, uh, you would get 12, 13, yeah. 14. And sometimes, you know, we'd kill so many of them and they'd be like, all right, you guys are done, just walk back, you you failed. Oh, yeah. And that's when you're getting reloaded and now you got a whole nother stress, right? Yeah. Cause they don't want to get, they don't want to fail, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be a bummer, but it was yeah. really good. It was it was great to be able to be a part of that training.
1: Yeah, that that's, that's cool how it evolved into like, that that close to realistic, yeah. Those it, paintballs, like especially if the simulation hurt more than like paintball kind of hurts. Mm, like if simulation you, hurts
0: too. Yeah, but yeah. I'd say it's probably about the same. Yeah, probably about the same.
1: Bro, I got whacked like a couple times, like in the side, yeah. and I wasn't wearing like padding or nothing, only no. just the face one. Yeah, um, and yeah, I get and it leaves like a straight up wound, yeah. like on your thing, like a welt or whatever. Yeah, that's it's something. It's not nothing. I mm. will tell you that.
0: Thoroughness, realism in German training methods is one aspect of their general demand for thoroughness. German officers in particular, and the enlisted men as well, are taught to regard themselves as men engaged in a highly skilled and highly honorable profession and to take pride in acquiring the details of military techniques. To encourage this point of view, soldiers are put as little as possible on fatigue work and non-military labors which are performed by civilians. And the last thing we'll talk about from this document is marksmanship. German training has tended to put emphasis on volume of fire rather than accuracy. An observer believes that their ability to concentrate fire at vital point is superior to our own, but that their standards of marksmanship Are inferior however a German article in late 1941 makes the point that volume of mechanical fire will not replace accurate individual shooting and that sharpshooters can perform invaluable tactical missions so they they did concentrate on volume of fire and they concentrate on marksmanship the basic skills of shooting and there you have it and and as you can see um, Many of those principles are, are the same principles that are taught in the U.S. military and really the same principles that are taught by any sort of leadership education, right? And And that's why it's very strange to read this document and recognize that these principles are being utilized by the most evil or at least one of the top evil empires Uh, To have ever existed and yet they're talking about taking care of their people and and making sure everyone understands the why And you can see as I mentioned earlier that that while these principles were Implemented down the chain of command clearly at the top These principles didn't exist at all tyrannical leader of Hitler massive ego driven by his own insecurities driven by paranoia lack of trust like all these things that this book this this book talks about Hitler did not them and that's why you end up in this disaster and this horrific the the horrific atrocities that that the Nazis created and the horrific atrocities of the war which which you know what you you know what you were talking about earlier I kind of made fun of you about like oh the world didn't exist before I was here right mm-hmm it's it's kind of inconceivable in some ways to understand the broad absolute horror of World War two and the Holocaust and the the deaths the the woundings the loss of life the destroyed uh, communities it's 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 kind of hard to really truly understand that those things occurred at all, it can be very, very difficult to understand that they seem inconceivable. I guess if you truly look at them, it, it seems inconceivable. If you think about the millions of people, you know, millions of people, millions of people dying, it's hard to it's hard to understand a million dollars. It's hard to understand, you know, a million. A million people going to a, a, a you know at a at a big giant arena. There's only a hundred thousand people there. Picture that times ten. Then that's there. You have a million, and each one of those people is an individual with a family and dreams and a life and 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 thoughts. And when you start talking about the scale of death and destruction in World War II, it's just. It's hard to conceive what that really means, but it did happen. And we (laughs) have to study history and have to study our enemies and what their thought processes were to make sure that history does not repeat itself. (sighs) With that, we appreciate y'all listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast and support yourself at the same time, might as well support some good causes out there, right? It's, Let's support some good. It's true. Let's make the world a better place. Let's start with ourselves. Yes. Be, make yourself better. Yeah. Physically better, mentally better, spiritually better. Let's do all those things.
1: Yep, it's true.
0: Take care of yourself on every front. Yep. That's what we need to do. Yep and then you can take care of other people. Then you can help other people. So if you wanna help yourself from a fuel, and I'm not talking about gasoline for your car or maybe diesel for your truck, mm-hmm. I'm talking about for you, you need fuel. Yeah,
1: Similar concept.
0: Similar concept. You wanna get good fuel. Yep. You kinda of wanna get the best fuel. Yes sir. You might wanna get for yourself some Jocko fuel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, you know, I, as I keep reminding you off air that I am on the path, kinda of strict.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: like, kind of legitimately strict. Ever since um, COVID started, mm-hmm. I put on some pounds. Some good, some bad. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, varying levels of success in going back to, you know, to where I was before that. Also, I just got back from the motherland, Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, how that can go sometimes. But nonetheless, the point is I'm on the path. Mm-hmm. So routine, back in full swing, 100%.
0: Bro, COVID I, was like three years ago. Yes,
1: sir. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, like don't I said.
0: The, let's make a record. Don't go off the path for three years, everybody. I would say this. So, I Was at is a, it two years? It's coming up on three years, maybe? Two years. Two years. Two, years, right? two
1: and a half, I don't know, something like that.
0: But so it's like, I'm off the path because of COVID. Well, you know. Two and you, a half years ago.
1: Well, jujitsu stops for a long time. The routine jujitsu. Right. Okay, we got little pockets here and there. Yeah. Get it? This is true, but the routine stops. Uh-huh. You know, I still can work out at the house or whatever, but cardio goes way down. Sometimes, like off the grid. Let's face it. <laughs> so I'm just lifting. some boom, I'm putting on weight. You just Wait. put yourself on full report. <laughs> Maybe someone else out there can relate to the realities of yeah. situations like this. Nonetheless, boom. Yeah, sure, I got back on the path, but I never really got back to where it was. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you know, we just got tired of that one. You know, so we just went more strict. Know. What I'm saying, but there are certain elements in there that have always been on the path, especially with the fuel, with the jockal fuel mm-hmm. part of it. Part of the point as well. So, well, thank were, God
0: you had Jocko fuel because apparently you need. <laughs> you were just <laughs> you were just wandering around. Never mind, off the path. No, you're off the reservation. No, no,
1: no, I know. And the way I'm putting it is more like I just freaking just let myself go. I didn't let myself go, but I put on like a good. 10, 15 pounds, Mm -hmm. which isn't, yeah, I know it's not like night night and day kind Mm -hmm. of a scenario, but, and that's probably why I didn't get back right away, because it wasn't like that big of a thing, but it was still a nagging thing, I feel like. You see what I'm saying?
0: You drinking milk?
1: I'm drinking milk, yes. And actually, I just got on this um, <clears throat> protocol, which I always knew about, but, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit for, to implement. Where if you if, with your diet, if you just control for, like, the protein, getting enough protein, mm-hmm. whatever your workout program kind of re- requires or whatever, and then you fill in the rest of the macros accordingly, mm-hmm. depends on what, where you want to go, what your goal is or whatever, that's, like, a really good way to stay on it. See what I'm saying? Like if because if you don't control for protein and you don't get enough protein, you don't build your muscle the way you want to do it. You, sure. you risk overtraining. You do all this stuff, whatever. Nonetheless, it's a better. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. So you yes, got to get that protein. protein. Yeah.
0: Hundred percent. How but, much are you getting?
1: A uh, hot. One oh,
0: gram per.
1: No, like
0: 0. 0.6. 0. 0.6 grams per. Yeah. Bro, I think that's to, like you, the, you need to up it, man. Yeah, you up those numbers. From bro. what I understand, I mean, I wonder you're losing weight. You're starving <laughs> to death over there, bro. You're losing muscle mass. <laughs> no,
1: bro. No, it depends on where you, what you read and where you read it. Um, the, it's gonna go anywhere from like 0. 0.5 all the way up to like one. Something oh, is per,
0: this per, per pound per or per pound or per kilogram?
1: No, per pound. For real?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: It depends. So um, I don't know. Hey, look, that's that's your journey. <laughs> To look into that kind of stuff and figure out what's right for you, bro. Okay, so let's say I weigh two twenty, mm-hmm. and I'm taking. You want me to freaking eat two hundred twenty grams of protein in a day? That that's what you're saying?
0: I don't know. That's bro. ten milks.
1: <laughs> I love <laughs> milk. I like milk a lot, but bro, I could you know 10, 10. Yeah. Even if you break it up, three milkshakes shakes per meal. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, we don't recommend that I'm not saying milk. yes. I'm not saying no. I'm we saying like more, but know. not that Cur- little much Currently, milk. I'm not at 10. No. I'm at one, sometimes two. Actually, but mine are doubles.
0: Yes, yeah, so are mine. Yeah, I yeah. I only have doubles.
1: Okay. But yeah, there you go. Boom. Nonetheless, we're on the program. 100%. Check. Um, also, good news with the energy drinks, if you didn't know already. Yeah. Real okay. good news. All the old good news is still there. Healthy for you, energy drink. No sugar. Sugar is more evil than you think, by the way. Yeah,
0: 100%. I think it's evil, so you're not catching me on that one. I know. It's as evil as I think.
1: If you were to, you know how, like, I'm sure there was some point in your life where you, like, looked into sugar a little bit deeper than maybe you do daily. Mm-hmm. And then realized, oh, shoot, this yeah. is kind of, there's some issues with sugar.
0: Sugar is, re- like, yeah. evil.
1: You could start looking back into it and probably find some more stuff. Yeah. That's all. So,
0: so you're saying it is even more evil than even I thought, and I, I thought it was pretty damn evil.
1: That is my contention. Yes, and good news, like I said, old good news, but good news, and no sugar in this one. So it's all healthy stuff. So boom, that's still the case. Yep. But the additional good news, we got a reformulated taste <laughs> yeah, in there for yeah. all of them. Oh yeah,
0: all of them. All the all the discipline go tastes good as hell now. Yeah. Like it will t- We're gonna win on taste. We're gonna win on taste. Tastes better than the other. Let's what do we call them? Energy drinks. Energy. Drinks. Tastes better than the other ones. Straight up better. Yeah. Try that. And one. still no sugar. Yeah. Still no. Still no chemicals in there. Yeah. Just good for you. And now it tastes good too. It's true. The other flavors. You might have had one or two flavors that you liked, but the other ones you kind of. Now you'll like them all. Yeah. You'll and you'll love one or two of them. Yeah. That's the difference. That's what we just did. Yeah. And there was a few before that you hated. You won't even hate any of them.
1: Yeah.
0: It's now true. you're gonna you're gonna like them all. You're gonna love two or three of them, and you're gonna be good to go. Yep. You're gonna find your little thing.
1: Yeah, man, it's true. It's all true. <laughs> uh, jo- JockoFuel.com. Yep. Uh, don't you, for, don't forget a lot of it. We don't. We haven't actually talked about it or whatever the joint stuff. That's mm-hmm. a big deal because you can be on any program, but yeah, if your joints, your knees start giving out, shoulders, all this kind of stuff, right? You're kind of off the program a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so.
0: voluntarily off the program.
1: So yeah, keep that in mind. You want overall health. You want to be able to keep going. Prioritize that. Yeah. Endurance. Endur- durable. Be durable. Mm-hmm. That helps. Big time. Um, yeah, some vitamins in there. Vitamin D. Cold or immunity. J- by just checking. JockoFuel.com.
0: JockoFuel.com. Go to Wawa. Get some drinks. We got a, a ready to drink coming. Mulk coming. Have you yep. seen that yet? Have you tasted it yet? Nope. It's hella good. Yeah, perfect. Good. Perfect yeah, mix. Yeah, it's so yeah. good.
1: Do they add like, um, you know how, for example, I'll put like half a banana in there or something like that. Do they add anything else in there? No, it's Just mulk. straight up, mulch formulated. Mulk. Dang. All right. Perfect I mean, ratios. You
0: could throw a banana in there if you're feeling it. Scientifically uh, yeah. proven
1: perfect ratios. Okay. All
0: right. it's good. Uh, go to Wawa, get the drinks. Go to Vitamin Shop, get this stuff. Go to If you're in Texas, go to HEB. Go to HEB rolling hot and get yourself some milk. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Uh, also, get some origin hunt, originusa.com. You can get a bunch of, you can get jeans, boots, you know what you can get, but you can get stuff that's made in America, not stuff that's literally made in a tyrannical country like the one we just talked about. It's a little bit different, but the principles are kind of there. Let's not support that. Let's support America where people are free. How about that? That's a good idea, originusa.com. Get yourself some boots, jeans, some jujitsu gear, gi.
1: It's true. Also, you want to represent why you're on this path like I think a lot of us do pretty much every day. JockoStore.com. Shirts, hats, hoodies on there as well. I know it's summertime. I get it. But at some point, it's going to be fall, then winter. I've got some hoodies on there. Um Discipline equals freedom. That's what you're representing. The Jocko Store stuff. Uh, the short Locker, by the way. What? I don't know that I've that you've ever told me your assessment of the Shirt Locker in any thorough way.
0: See, I, I like it. There's my assessment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what that is, subscription situation, you get a new shirt every month. Creative. They're different. Different designs. Pretty much every single one has been a success. Varying levels of, you know, there are, are sporadic um, outliers. They might, you know, they might be too hard there for There were a couple
0: of objections over a objections. couple of them. Objections.
1: They, they, the the con- conceptual element behind them might have went.
0: Over some people's heads.
1: Or maybe hit them too hard. Or hit them too
0: hard right in the face. Yeah, a little bit. That's what it seemed like. Sherlocker.com. Is that a thing? No. No, it's just JockoStore.com. I'm well, just making up my <laughs> own <dot> coms. <laughs>
1: Jocko store.com You click this is a big thing. Click shirt locker. Boom. Okay, check it out. Sure. You can see some previews too. That's the thing. Look, I'm not going to give it all away. You know, as far as what designs or what or whatever, but you can see some previews, some hints of like what the next one is, what some past ones were. Also, if you're a member, you can buy any of the past ones. By the way,
0: that's pretty legit. Yeah.
1: So you know, you, th- you thought you missed out on one, then where you can you grab brought one. it back. But you can bring it right back. You want uh, your neighbor? Because this is ha- this happens a lot. Where you're gonna be wearing one and someone would be like, bro, where'd you get that shirt? Like (laughs) the one that says good, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we have some good shirts on the store.
0: Cool. Now we got a better one. There's or a different one. A
1: slightly and it's like, it's cool, it looks really good. And I got a literal phone call saying, where who got that shirt? Where can we get that shirt? My wife wants it. You sign up, you can get your wife one, your neighbor one, whatever you like. See what I'm saying?
0: Check. Uh, that's jocko store.com Subscribe to the podcast. Check out the Jocko Underground. We just recorded a couple episodes of that, go, talking interesting information, talking about keeping our own little platform. We have our own little platform. We don't own this platform that you're listening to, unless you're in Jocko Underground right, right now. But we don't own uh, iTunes. We don't own Spotify. We don't own YouTube. We get kicked off any of those. I don't know. We talked about the Nazis today. Will that get us kicked off? Oh yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah, there's like
1: terms that get you like- Get flagged. Kind of flagged, yeah. Yeah, they're for real art. In fact, it's so apparently- we've been flagged before. Oh yeah. We've been flagged
0: a few times. And that's kind of what prompted this JockoWonderground.com.
1: Because
0: we don't know when we're gonna get kicked off for saying something. Yeah. So. If you want to support that, $8.18 a month, we appreciate it, check out the YouTube channel, check out Psychological Warfare, check out flipsidecanvas.com, Dakota Meyer, making awesome stuff to hang on your wall. I've written a bunch of books, check them out. (laughs) Uh, You know what they are, Echelon Front, talked about that a little bit today, Leadership Lab, FTX, we got the muster coming up. So, I think that's the next one is in Atlanta, Hotlanta, October 12th to the 14th. We sold out all these things, so, If you wanna come, get there early, register. Go to extremeownership.com for our, or that's echelonfront.com. If you wanna do online training, you wanna go through some courses, you wanna understand this stuff at a deeper level, go to extremeownership.com and take some courses, some online courses. Mm -hmm. I'll be sitting there telling you what's up. You can come and ask me questions. Extremeownership.com. And if you want to do your duty from a charity perspective, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got a great charity organization. And if you want to donate to her organization or you want to get involved, go to AmericasMightyWarriors.org. And you've also got HeroesAndHorses.org. Micah, he's up there in the wilderness. They're wrapping up their course right now. Forty-one days out in the bush, reconnecting with your soul. That's for veterans. Check it out, heroesandhorses.org. And if you want to, well, if you want to see us on Twitter or the Gram or the Facebook, Echo and I are there. But look, just be careful. Fair warning. The algorithm's there. The brainwashing out. We, people getting brainwashed by the Nazis. You're getting brainwashed too when you're staring at that little screen. Don't let it happen. Watch out for the algorithm. And finally, salute to the greatest generation the World War II veterans that fought against the Nazi power, the tyranny, the oppression, the greatest generation that saved freedom in our world. So a salute to them. And also thanks to the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines that are out there right now as we speak holding the line. Thank you to all of you. And the same goes to our police and law enforcement firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, dispatchers, correctional officers, border patrol, secret service, and all the first responders that keep us safe every day. Thank you for holding the line here at home. And everyone else out there, remember this idea. Remember to begin your day with a mission. Begin the day with a mission. And if you approach every day and you approach every task as if it was a battle eventually you can approach battles like they're a task that's what we've got for today every day is a battle go get in the fight and until next time this is echo and jocko out